Welcome back to Daily DVR Does the Film List. You got a list, send it to me, thefilmlist at gmail.com. Hello, folks. Heath Solo here. And yes, we're back on the film list, counting down my top 1,000 favorite movies of all time. Not necessarily the best movies of all time, but my personal favorites. Uh, so I'm excited to get back into it. Uh, we just um, completed on the DVR Podcasting Network a little True Detective Night Country. Me, Axel, and Ando uh, did the pod and it, six parts, and we had some feedback pods. And where can you find it? Well, you can go to dvrpodcast.com, and you see all our shows that we do on Daily DVR and then some other feeds for like Mindhunter, Mayor of Kingstown, Game of Thrones, True Detective, as we also covered season three as well before that five years ago. Uh, and if you're in the neighborhood and want to hear more, go to uh, patreon.com slash DVR and you can try it out. You can try the Patreon subscription for free. And for a couple bucks a month, you know, you can get exclusive pods like this one. But I'm going to try to get Axel to get this on the daily DVR because we need five or ten more downloads. So anyway, welcome to the film list. And with me tonight or this morning or in the afternoon depending on when you're listening is our good buddy ando he has been anointed the film my film list right hand man welcome ando well that's i am so happy to be i'm excited to finally be here on the podcast where two men enter and hopefully two men leave but we'll see how the podcast goes (laughs) it's a little teaser for later so yeah i'm i'm i was on this the last one of these with axel but this i'm excited because this is the first time i've actually been on the film list with the film list main host like the actual host so i'm very excited that this is going to be fun tonight all right yeah that's right because the first one i did i i did films 1994 was the irishman pretty woman another earth monster in america captain phillips and the girlfriend experience and then while i was in check wow back in september so that's September of 2023 was wow. the last time. <laughs> doesn't I, seem like it was that long ago, but you know, I football know. gets in the way and everything, life right. gets in the way. Yeah. Everything gets in the way. So you and Axel did a film and it was, I loved it. And you guys counted down 993 to 985, which were World War Z, Chicago, Double Impact, The Descendants, Eight Seconds, All-American Bikini Car Wash, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Birdman and ended with Tree of Life. Now, one thing I got to clear up <laughs> because Axel was like my friend Lou or who had one of his friends was like World War Z would be higher on my list and he's like Tree of Life would be higher yes. on my list and Ando you're like Treasure of the Sierra Madre would be higher on my list but then you say maybe Heath hasn't seen it in a while and I'm glad you said that because these are my favorite films. And there's reasons tonight you'll hear everyone. There's some bad films coming up, (laughs) but they're one of my favorites and films. All I I like to rewatch or a point in my life. They were really big for me. And so there's, there's a lot of criteria that goes into this list. So yes, world war Z is probably a better movie than a lot of the movies I'm going to mention tonight. But as far as my personal favorites, that's why the ranking we're in the 900s now, so it's well, and you're you know, gonna some get of these, some, some of these movies that we're going to talk about tonight. Like a lot of these, I've rewatched a lot of them for this or parts of them, and some of these I hadn't seen in 25 years, 
my opinion of what I remembered. And then when I actually rewatched it again has changed massively on some of these. So, and the other thing is, like you said, there are some bad movies here, but there's also movies that are like huge parts of my childhood. There's movies where I, I think it's going to be kind of fun too, because there's, I counted at least four or five that are in series uh, in like in franchises or series. And I like other films in that fra- in those franchises better than almost every one that we're going to talk about. But I still like right, right. so it's I don't yeah. know it's, it's going to be fun. Well, one of the things Ando that when I'm constructing this list is all right. Say I'm getting you know the Mad Max movies. Could be a Mad Max movie coming up tonight. We don't know. We, we, we'll find out. <laughs> but <laughs> or like James Bond or Superman or whatever, like or Marvel movies. I had to then look at them all and rank them on it on their own mm-hmm. and then place them in my top 1000 with all the movies that I'm because I didn't want to throw out, say, a Marvel movie and then be like later on, like, wait a minute. I like that one so much better or it's my favorite compared to this Marvel movie. But I want to get this Marvel movie on the list. So I've had to do separate lists in order to construct the proper placement in this countdown. Well, and I want to say, when was, when did you originally do the film list? It was like 15, 10 years ago, at least. Yeah. So and on the old film list feed, yeah, I did. I know I did. I think I did my top like 200 through the years. And then I had our friend Matt Murdoch come on and I redid a bunch. Mm-hmm. Like it was this crazy. Like, well, because I remember back when you did that, I, I sat down one day and I was, I think I was. I think I was still single at the time, so I had plenty of time. And I remember sitting down and like writing out my top 100. I haven't updated that list in like over 10 years. Oh wow! So I'm I, I want it when I actually have time. I want to redo that list and see how much it's changed because I think there might have even been a couple of these movies where I'm going to talk about tonight that may have been on that original top 100 list, and I don't think oh, they'd be wow. anywhere near them now. So I don't. That's I, I'm a I'm a huge list guy too. So I, that's part of why I'm excited to do this. It's going to just be fun. Yeah, and one quick thing before we start. So it's really different. When you're doing a top 100, all right, you get your favorite 100, you know, you get them all in. Then when you expand it, say you do a top 500, okay, now it, but then when you go to 1,000, you're like, wow, something that was would have been like 475 may now be 800 yeah. now that I'm looking at it 1,000 films. When you're looking at a short condense, it's easy to, like, I remember my original top 100, um, had Dr. No in it, Bond movie. Yeah, the first Bond movie. You know, yeah, the first ever was on there. And I think Casino Royale was on there. And this was right after Casino Royale came out, and that just became my favorite Bond movie. But after re-watching Bonds through the years, and I, I do love the Daniel Craig Bond movies, uh, there's a couple now that are in my top. But like, I realized, like, wait a minute, Dr. No isn't a top 100 film for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite so it's funny how you know it, it works out so i just decided to stop at a thousand do the thousand uh ever since i got that uh i that letterbox app uh-huh. it makes it so much easier now, doesn't it it does it actually does it really does so that's pretty cool so all right ando what do you think start this list back up yeah i think uh, i think it's time to take a little trip to space Oh, the final frontier. These are the, oh, no, wrong movie. So, yes, as Ando said at Space, the next movie coming in at number 984, 
was released on July 1st, 1979. I first saw this renting a VHS tape in the 80s. And me and my dad were recording this franchise from VHS to beta. We rented a VHS because we only had beta and we would record them. (laughs) It's called Moonraker. James Bond investigates the midair theft of a space shuttle and discovers a plot to commit global genocide. Now, Ando, this movie isn't the greatest. I actually (laughs) rewatched it today. I, I did last night as well. I texted you okay. a picture that I was putting it yeah. on. So yes. So I had to do it too. I had some time today and I, I'm like, let me throw it on in the background. Then I kind of got sucked in. It's not that good. However, <laughs> when I was a kid, I loved it because I was into Star Wars. They have a lot of space going on and this is 1979. So, you know, the genre was starting to pick up with you know, Star Wars, et cetera. Yeah, Star Wars, um, Star Trek, Alien, Battlestar Alien. Galactica. They were all along yeah. within that two or three rain- years there. So just like Jason Voorhees did in the <laughs> 90s, we, Bond went to space. But for me, it's Jaws. And not the shark, Bruce, but Jaws, played by Richard Keel. Well, my dad told me, he goes, oh, you got to watch Moonraker. You'll like it. It's in space. And, uh, and Jaws is in it. I'm like, there's a space shark? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I sounded like like Mr. Spacely there from the Jetsons for a second, but uh, and so but no, it wasn't the shark because I was obsessed with Jaws and I still am. Uh, but the but the metal mouth, he could bite through stuff. He's so strong and big, and so that's why Moonraker is there. It's not the best Bond movie. It's probably in the bottom five. But as far as favorites for me, Jaws was in it, and I love Jaws to this day. And that's what makes this movie for me. But Ando, I didn't realize, and there will be some minor spoilers for these movies. Uh, If we talk about an ending of a movie, we'll definitely give you a spoiler warning. But I I forgot Jaws had a love interest. (laughs) Yes, he did. Yeah, because Jaws, well, minor spoiler, Jaws kind of becomes a good guy by the end of this movie. Because he was in the movie before this, too. So it was his... what was the first? What was one before him? He was uh, in Spy Who Loved Me. Spy Who Loved Me. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, he was, and he was so popular. He came back. So yeah, he's he's such a fun character. I I agree with you too. This movie is just it's not very good, but it's fun. <laughs> I mean the yeah, and, and really like the first hour, I actually think is a pretty good Bond film. It it just goes into silliness <laughs> the yeah. further the movie goes. So. Like the the opening sequence on with the stealing the space shuttle is cool, and I mean for the time for Roger, I mean it's a Roger Moore Bond movie, so we, I mean we know what right. we're going to expect here. We're not gonna, it's not going to be the Daniel Craig or, or uh, Timothy Dalton ultra serious Bond. It's the it's the let's have a fun time Bond. So yeah, the uh, and that's what it was being a kid. Roger Moore. I mean, I got introduced to Connery, and Connery soon became my favorite. Probably when I became a teenager. Mm-hmm. But when I was a uh, you know under ten year old, Roger Moore was my guy because A View to a Kill came out, and that's the first Bond movie I remember going to see in the theater. Um, was A View to a Kill? I think that was the first one. And Moonraker again, like I said, I, we re- rented them. And of course, being like when I watched Moonraker, I was probably six or seven, maybe seven years old, probably mm-hmm. seven or eight actually. And space and all that. But you're right about that first hour. The first hour is very good. And then, it, yeah, it, it goes crazy and he's fighting an <laughs> anaconda or an, a python in the water. It's, and for a second there, I was like, wait, how did he, what, what's going on? Yeah. 
<laughs> There's a lot of that. Yeah. And, you know, I I was trying to think back to the first time I saw this movie, because this movie for me, I'm a couple of years, uh, what, a year younger than you, a year and a half. So this no, movie is, yeah, a couple years. this movie to me is just one of those movies that I've always known. It's, I, I don't remember exactly when it, I saw it, but I remember how I saw it, if that makes sense. I don't know. I'm sure you remember this back in the 80s. ABC did this thing where they would play Bond movies on Sunday nights. It was like oh, yeah. a big, big thing. And my dad was a huge, still is a huge Bond fan. So we would watch them every Sunday night they came on. We watched them. It's, I found it. I actually found that it premiered in November of 1981 on ABC. That's why I would have been about oh, four wow. years old. So I probably saw it in that in what, when I was four or five, six years old, something like Jeez. that. So, yeah, but to me, it's, it's like I say, it's like a couple of movies. I, well, maybe not. This might be the one that's really fits this bill. But yeah, just a movie that I just always known. I've, I've always, it's been a part of my life. So I can't really remember the first time I saw it, but I've seen it many, many times. It's just, it's, it's a fun yeah. movie. Yeah. So we've got any little special, uh, well, uh, and, Ando, an, antidote, an, I can't even speak. An, antidote, what I don't even know the word. Anecdotes, maybe. Anecdotes. Yes. <laughs> okay. It's. Uh, let's see. The. Um, it is, and I lost my notes for some reason. Um, it's based on Ian Fleming's third novel, James Bond novel, but it was the eleventh official Bond movie. They didn't really know how to do it, and the. Mm. the I guess for, I, I've never read the novel, but supposedly it has been drastically changed. It, a lot of it didn't even take, wasn't really in space, I guess. So they obviously oh, okay. changed it to cash in on the cash in on everything. Um, it was the fourth time Roger Morris played James Bond. It's the last performance of Bernard Lee as M. Wow. Uh, he passed away that. shortly after this. Uh, um, let's see other, let's see other notable people. Um, <laughs> Lois Childs plays Holly Goodhead. She actually appears <laughs> in another movie that we're going to talk about tonight. If we get there. Which oh I Jesus! Was, I don't even know. I didn't. Yes. I don't even. Oh God! I, I, I won't spoil which one it is. But when I was watching it for the first time, a movie I had never seen, and I watched it a couple nights ago, and I'm like, I think that's the girl from Moonraker, and it is. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but otherwise, like, I, it actually had an Oscar nomination for best visual effects. Lost to Alien. I mean, of course, wow. it's going to lose to Alien. They're not even yeah. in the same. <laughs> they're not even in the same stratosphere. No. No. And otherwise, it was nominated for a bunch of Saturn Awards, which is a sci-fi, a, a, like sci-fi movie awards. So it's kind of funny that a Bond yep. movie gets nominated for sci-fi stuff. So otherwise, I don't know. Is there anything else in the cast that stuck out to you? No, just uh, Saturn Award nomination, Richard Keel, Best Supporting Actor. Yes. He had one line in the whole movie. <laughs> to well, us teeth, or something. Those, yeah, those yeah. teeth are impressive. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, uh, directed by Lewis Gilbert, third and final Bond, he directed. He did You Only Live Twice and The Spy You Love Me. Um, and that, I think that it made $70 million on a $34 million budget. So technically it was a hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not huge, but for 1979, I think it right. was, I think it was at the time was one of the top grossing Bond movies. Because wow. they really, I think the first one that hit didn't, I don't think any of them actually hit $100 million until. Brosnan, I think. I want to say Goldeneye maybe was the first one. So it's, mm. Bond has become a much bigger cultural thing now than it. I mean, it's always been big. Right. Not not to the level it is now, which yeah. is interesting. Wow. Yeah. it's That's just the times. Yep. Roger Moore. All right. Um, we got to mention Lois Maxwell. Oh, yes. Lois Maxwell's Miss, Miss Money Penny. She's great as Money Penny. 
And the um, Desmond Llewellyn is Q too. He's always, yeah. Always great. I mean, I mean, he's there forever until yeah. John, John, uh, Cleese, John yeah. Cleese, John Cleese takes yeah. over. And, John and Cleese. It's, Cleese. it's one Sorry, of the Brosnan that. movies, I think, isn't it? When I think takes so. over, I can't remember exactly which one. Might even be Goldeneye. Yeah. Or what, um, maybe it's no, or maybe I, it's a later one. Yeah, Desmond Llewellyn. Has another a, day or yeah, he has at least one or two with with okay. Brosnan. Okay, with Pierce. Okay, cool. All right, let's move on to number 983, Ando. This one's a sequel. Now, the original, uh, I guess the original, the first film in this film franchise that only has two um, <laughs> is in my top 100. Uh, but the sequel yeah, came it might out be March in my top. Fi- it might be in my top 50, the, yeah. the, the original. It's a masterpiece, I think, of action. But anyways, continue. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It was It was in my top five for a while until other movies came about. But it was mm-hmm. like when it first came out, I put it there um, in my little uh, Keith teenage list or 20, early 20s <laughs> list. Um, was released March 6, 1988. U.S. Marshals, U.S. Marshal Samuel Gerard and his team of marshals are assigned to track down Sheridan, who has been accused of a double murder. So, U.S. Marshals, directed by Stuart Baird, who also directed Star Trek Nemesis and Executive Decision, written by Roy Huggins. Yes, it's the sequel and spinoff of the 93... 1993 is The Fugitive, Tommy Lee Jones as Sam Gerard, Wesley Snipes as Sheridan, Robert Downey Jr. as Royce. Joe Pantaleone as Renfro, and my boy, who's such a great guy, Daniel Roebuck as Biggs. I was in a movie with him called Up Against Amanda. Now, we weren't together, but he did one scene, and then my scene got cut, and you only see a shot of me in this movie at a funeral. So anyway, but technically, you know, when I first met him, I go, hey, we're in a movie together. <laughs> and he's like, oh, awesome. yeah, that movie. I remember that movie. That was a friend of mine's movie. Yeah, I did it for him. Yeah. What was great the- guy. What was the uh, show he did where where it was the lawyer, the law? That wasn't he. That wasn't he in that murder law show. What the heck was the name of that? Murder One was that oh. him in that? I don't remember if he was in Murder One. I want to see what's so, because Daniel Bonzali was the lead in the first season. I don't know if he was. I can't remember oh, if he was in. You know it. what? I'm. You're right. That's what you think. That what you think of? Okay. Yep. Yeah. No. I mean. I mean. Robux really big. First movie was the Late Shift, that VH1 movie where he paid, played Jay Leno. Oh yeah! 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 And the the whole Leto Letterman who's taken over for Johnny Carson uh-huh. type, type of thing, uh, but yeah, no, he, and he played Arnst, Doctor Arnst on Lost. And I took when I took a when I took a picture with him the first we're, we're we're hugging each other and he's pointing to my shoulder like I have Arnst on me. Um, <laughs> anyway, pretty funny. So yeah, so U.S. Marshals, the sequel to The Fugitive. This movie, I didn't quite like it at first i thought it was good but since i've actually rewatched it in the last year i think it's a lot it's definitely a lot better and i actually really do enjoy this movie i mean it's not the best um but it's actually well well done and tommy lee jones character i mean he got did did he win the oscar for the fugitive or at least got nominated he won the oscar he did win the oscar i mean he's great and his team is great um you know, Pantaleone. I mean, I, I just love. Yeah. Uh, he he's one of my favorite actors. Uh, Goonies, etc. Matrix, but uh, but yeah, no, I I like this movie. It's got action. Wesley Snipes in his prime. Yeah, this, um, the there's cast a really is great good. twist. Yeah, and there's a really great twist mm-hmm. that I didn't see coming when I first watched it. 
and my wife first watched it this past year. She didn't see it coming either. She was upset because now Robert Downey Jr. Then yeah, he was famous, but he wasn't Iron Man famous. And you know? and he had done a lot of roles where he was kind of slimy and kind of not back in that in that time frame. So you're right. Yeah. I remember I, I remember seeing this on opening night in the movie theaters, and because I was such a huge fan of The Fugitive, so it was. I mean, it was. It's a solid. It's a solid film. It's not. Let's say it's. It. I think it gets hurt because it. it when you compare it to the Fugitive, yeah. Nothing, oh yeah. Nothing compares to the Fugitive when that. Like when they uh, Ando, like like uh, comparing other seasons of True Detective to season one, maybe. Yeah, right. exactly like that. <laughs> it's tough. It's. <laughs> but it's <laughs> tough to. It's tough because the Fugitive on its own is a fantastic film. I mean, it's you know based off the series. But Harrison Ford, I mean, that Tommy Lee Jones, Harrison Ford, I mean, I'm going to start talking about The Fugitive for an hour. It's... No, we're, gonna, we're not, because in three years, when we get to my top 100, um, <laughs> three years, might be like 10 years. But uh, no, it's it's a good action film. And it's it's and I think I, I saw it in the theater and then, you know, yeah, I saw it in the theater in, in at the Burbank AMC the first time it came out back when I went to the movies like three times a week. Um, well, that was the but, the little thing I wrote on my note for this was to myself was that I remember the first because that was when I I was in college at the time and I went to everything because I I grew up I grew up in a very small town for people that don't know that already where it was a the closest theater is one screen and it was only one screen I moved to, when I moved mm-hmm. to Minneapolis in the St Paul area I was five minutes away from the multiplex where there was fifteen screens so I was uh, in, I mean I was going to movies all the time so of course the fugitive was I I distinctly remember going into the and. That was back before they had perfected multiplexes. So, like, if you weren't on the number one screen, you were in like this little shoebox where there was like fifty people s- sitting in the dang thing, and it was the, not much bigger than a TV is now. But yeah, right. I, I will, <laughs> I, I will, I, I distinctly remember going to, the, to this for that very reason. But it was just, yeah, it's, it's a fun movie. It's not, and I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about it. Most people don't even realize there's a sequel to The Fugitive. You know what? You're right, and. Like, cause my wife had never seen it. She's seen the fugitive loves the fugitive and she didn't realize there was, she's in that camp. And when I watched it with her, it was like, this is a lot better than I remember. I think again, it got bashed because it was nothing near the fugitive, mm-hmm. but well, and it also fun movie. It also had, I mean, it's a little different now cause they've staggered them out, but it was released in March. And back in those yeah. days, if you or if you were a big action movie and you weren't released in May through August, right. everybody was like, well, that's a shitty movie. I'm not going to go see it. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up, Ando, because you're right. Back in the day, you you had your summer tent poles and then your Thanksgiving Christmas time were when your biggest movies came out. And but it's funny, seven came out, I think, in October. Yeah, where it kind of that was like one of the first break in the mold. But a lot of movies that came out between January and March and some April, those were the movies that got pushed or they were just trying to say, we got to make some money. Hopefully we won't get any competition. And those were usually for the the movies in the fall a little bit. But I remember. I think I don't know if it was one of the Avengers movies or. It was something that I remember it being released like in April or early May, not, um, not, uh, yeah, I Memorial think, Day. Weekend. I think Endgame and, like, and Infinity War both were like in the very end of April. 
So like they've been pushing yeah. that so the summertime movie thing, pushing it further and further forward. Right. And that's spread out better now. Yeah. 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 Stuff is spread out better. But back in those days, I mean, I remember January, February, March. Oh. Some of April that they were like, okay, what's what's wrong with this movie? <laughs> yeah, it, it was like things where they would run out of money for special effects, or they would, or it was a bad adaptation of something, or it got all shredded to hell because the the, the writers all argued. I remember like the movie, like The Relic, was a, a big sci fi, supposed to be this huge sci fi movie. Well, it took place in a museum, oh, with, yeah. like a monster and all that stuff, and they, it got pushed into January or February, and that was before I realized what all that scheduling stuff worked. I remember being so uh-huh. pumped and walking out of there, and I'm like. Oh, or the movie Sphere. Oh, it was a Michael Crichton with Dustin Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Another one where I was like, oh, this looks amazing. I mean, I was a huge Crichton fan at the time. And- oh, that book, that book, my friends, like, my friends read that book, like four or five of my friends, and they freaking said that was the greatest book ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I started reading it because of that. And uh, so, yeah, it's so I think a lot of people like with U.S. Marshals, it, it felt like that because they're like, oh, they're dumping this movie, so I'm not going to go bother to see it. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it was a had a fifty seven million dollar budget, only made fifty seven. Now, are those figures uh, are those America or worldwide? I'm that, assuming ju- it's oh, America. just just American. Yep, I did not just put American. Okay, there, yep. okay, um, yeah, and so, it's unadjusted for so it's it's what they actually made at that. So fifty seven yeah, million then inflation. Would, yeah, that would have yeah. been like a hundred plus now probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Probably a buck fifty. Possibly. Yeah. Well, buck thirty five. Uh, all right. So 983 U.S. Marshals. Uh, do you have anything last you want to say um, other than the Blockbuster Entertainment Award nomination <laughs> yeah, they got? That, that, was the, that was literally the only thing I could find. That was that, it didn't even <laughs> there wasn't even anything. There wasn't even like some small film critics thing that threw a bone to Tommy Lee Jones or something. Because Tommy Lee was huge at that time. But no, it yeah. just was. Yeah. It, it, like I said, strangely forgotten for such a pretty big movie. It's not like I mean, it's well made. It's big actors in it it's it's just a, a strange good dialogue film. yeah good action i, I mean, mean i the think Western there's a trained scene i mean there's really some good set pieces i remember there being a fight i think well i think it might even be the end fight they're in a in a grain bin or something they're fighting like in corn or soybeans or something i always remember that as i'm like oh nobody ever fights enough in something no that, one ever plays yeah. shout out to agriculture professionals yes you know that that and a quiet place are the only two things i've ever seen that i can remember where there's a fight in <laughs> or somebody's hiding in or something like that so yeah my shout out to agriculture for the for the show <laughs> i like it ando i like it all right coming in at 982 is a film this this is in the pantheon of my summer of 95 films what I why I bring that up is because the summer of '95 I did an internship. I was going to Syracuse in New York, and I did an internship in LA for the summer. I didn't have a car. There's this girl I met on my interview who worked for the comp the post production company that I uh, interned at. I went out because I came out in spring break for the interview. Met her, and she goes, "Yeah, here's my number if you need a ride or you know to go to work." Um, so she would take me to work and my roommate was one of my film buddies, Ben Bell. He had the car. So I was living in Westwood, uh, where UCLA is Westwood village in Mm -hmm. California. And so I would walk down to Westwood village and they had, they had on Wilshire Boulevard, they had like one theater that had like four or five movies. But what's cool about Westwood village, they were all single screen theaters around. So there's like four of them. 
So mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. So mm-hmm. I went to every, I didn't have a TV either. <laughs> so I would walk down, go to Schlotsky's, one of my favorite sandwich places, get the vegetarian sandwich. Oh, it was so good. Uh, and I would go <laughs> see a movie. And so the summer of 95, there were a lot of movies that I saw. And one of them is coming in at 982. And it's kind of a romantic com- romantic drama-ish. Not really a comedy, but like in that vein. But this film made me freaking cry. And the trailer made me cry. Because I, I think because Ando, I was alone. Uh-huh. And I was going to the movies by myself. Yeah, I, I, I I've had a period in my life. Like, I, I've, I had a very similar period in my life. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it was after my sophomore year of college. I'm in L.A. by myself. Uh, and... And I'm just, I want to be an actor. I want to be a filmmaker. I'm going through that, those emotions. And when this freaking Keanu film would come on, I would cry. It's called A Walk in the Clouds, uh, released August 11th, 1995. But so that whole summer, I would see the trailer for it and I would kind of get emotional. But you know why. Uh, a married soldier returns from <laughs> World War II, poses as a pregnant woman's husband to save her from her father's anger and honor. And directed by Alfonso Ar- Aru. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. Arau? Aru? Like, I wasn't sure about Aru, that either. Aru. I apologize. He did uh, Like Water for Chocolate. Written by uh, Robert Mark Kamen, who did Karate Kid 1 through 3, Fifth Element, Transporter, Take It. Wow, he's come a yeah. long way since I, I walk was, in the clouds. I was surprised looking up his resume that he's got some solid, solid writing credits in there. And it's a remake of the 1942 Italian film, Four Steps in the Clouds. Keanu Reeves, uh, Eitana Sanchez-Guillon, Anthony Quinn, Giancarlo Gianni, Deborah Messing. One of her, her film, her film debut. Yep. Oh, film debut. Uh, it's a great love story. It has the great scenery. It's a warm, heartfelt uh, you know, you, you're dealing with different cultures and, you know, Keanu's a white dude coming to a Spanish culture and it just really, uh, it just hit my heart. And I felt like that while I was in California living for three months, pretty much by myself and just doing things by myself. I, I did things with other people, but the, I had a lot of time to, to do things by myself. You know, and uh, that's I, I know I know I I can't even describe it, but I know it's just like the living in a huge city and you're living by yourself and you're you're alone, but you're not alone. And yeah, I, right. I and I'm it. young. Yeah, I'm twenty. I'm yep. twenty years old. I just turned twenty years old, so I was away from home. I mean, I've been in college, but I was in a big city, and luckily I had like some of my fraternity brothers who were out there. So I hung out with them. My roommate, we hung out actually a girl. I kind of dated. She followed me there. <laughs> All of a sudden I get a call from her. Like I'm going to be in California too. I'm like, wait, what? Uh, uh, so that's, yeah, uh, that's, it was yeah stalker. I that's should, a, say, that's a warning. It's a little warning light that goes on. <laughs> no, she wasn't. She wasn't. She was nice. She was a little nutty, but so was I, I guess. Oh, that's, but, yeah. that's okay then. Yeah. Yeah. No, she, in retrospect, I, I did like her. She was fun. Uh, but, you know, it was just so it really this film just hit me. And, of course, Keanu speed. And, I, you know, I was my my uh, mom and my sister, when I would call them, they would call me Keanu <laughs> in California. <laughs> so Keanu. Uh, so but, yeah, no, this film is worth a watch if you've never seen it. Um, now, I haven't seen it in a few years. It might be 
20 years since I've seen it. So well, the, I haven't recently rewatched it. This is one too. The summer 95 was, I remember seeing this, but summer of 95 was the year bef- between my junior and senior years of high school. So, okay. and in a small town, like I had, I mean, I grabbed my senior class was like 80 people. I mean, we, everybody was friends with everybody else. So especially going into those in between those summers, it was always big parties all the time. Cause it was, everybody's close by and there's nothing in a small town. Like I said before, there's one right. movie screen, there's nothing else to do. So it was part. And I know this was playing at some, we had some co-ed party thing where it was guys were playing cards or playing basketball and the girls would kind of sit and watch movies and stuff. And I know this movie was playing in the background and I thought I had seen all of this movie before and I went and found it's not easy to find right now on streaming, but I found some clips on YouTube and watched some of them today. I don't remember any of this. I want to, I want to rewatch it because it <laughs> it has like a really, the clips I saw had a really like a dreamlike quality and just kind of, mm. uh, I don't know, something I'm very curious to check this movie out now. Cause I, I thought I had seen it and I know it had been playing in the background, but I must've been too busy like say playing NBA live on the, on the Sega Genesis NBA live. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> to, to actually pay attention to the movie. So yeah. And it's, it, it, the little clips I saw look really good. The, one of the things that stuck out to me too, part of why I think you get so emotional, the guy who did the score for this Maurice Jari oh. is he, besides having a scoring another film, we're going to talk about later tonight also did Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago, um, witness i mean he he's done score like some of the all-time greatest scores ever and all those movies you just hear the music and you start getting emotional so i mean the music is a huge huge well there you go freaking maurice man making me cry (laughs) unbelievable uh god i can't even remember deborah messing in this movie i think it was a very very small part i saw something that said it was her sudden yeah she's been in a couple well it's oh is she keanu's wife that he splits up with oh yes i believe you're right that might be right. i guess i don't know i didn't yeah I didn't it, it is it I is today. okay because that's keanu plays paul sutton so yeah I guess <laughs> that's what it is yeah no i do rem- i do remember her now i had just had forgotten she was in this movie but oh my god yeah because i think uh, at, to that point she'd been in a couple of tv episodes of various things but this was the first mm-hmm. mo- i remember seeing this was the first movie thing I was also surprised to see Roger Ebert had it on his top 10 films in 1995, number 10. Wow. So I thought that's, I don't always agree with what Ebert's tastes were, but he knows his stuff. Usually I usually have an agreement with a lot of his takes. So, yeah, I mean, this is an underrated film. Again, it's a a remake from Italian film, uh, $20 million budget did make 50 in America. So Americans did go to see this movie in late Mm -hmm. August, like including me. I think I went twice in Westwood (laughs) village because I didn't have a TV. And there was nothing else to do. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. There were days where I just, I went and worked out, maybe read some magazines, walked around Westwood, went and saw a movie. Um, so well, yeah. it also yeah. had, uh, like you were talking about Keanu before, he had, uh, he was nominated at the MTV Awards for Most Desirable Male and Best Kiss. So it wasn't just your relatives Ooh-hoo. that loved Keanu, too. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was a, I mean, when you look at him in the, the clips I saw today, I mean, he looks just, like a, he looks like a Hollywood star. I mean, it's, there's no yeah. question about it. It's, and this was right after speed. I mean, he was, he was definitely yeah. on his way up. Yeah. But it's interesting. He took on a movie like this just goes to show. I mean, we know Keanu's not the greatest actor, but the guy is committed and 
you know, because he has that Bill and Ted's type of vibe, you know, <laughs> Johnny Utah type of vibe that I was glad he took a chance and did this. Cause I think he did a really good job. And that's the thing, you know, he's not going to win an Oscar, but, but man, he freaking gives it his all. And I, he's so likable. And I just, I love the dude. Well, Keanu's if, awesome. If you look at some of the f- films he did in bet- after after Bill and Ted, he takes actually takes a lot of chances and took a lot of shit that he didn't deserve. I mean, My Own Private right. Idaho, Dracula, Much yeah. Ado About Nothing. He did a Shakespeare for crying yep. out loud. I mean, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, yeah. So it's he's. I mean, he's he's getting his due now. Everybody loves him now, but for a long time, everybody trashed him as oh, he's so terrible. Yeah. It's like, man, he's he's. I think he's almost underrated. He's not. He's not. Nobody's going to say he's. Al Pacino and the Godfather or something, but no, no, but he's not nearly as bad as people in like, I, you know, in speed cons, it's just cons. Like, <laughs> you know, it's uh-huh. kind of funny, but like, but cut the guy some slack. I mean, he's, you know, but yeah, he took a lot of heat. Um, I remember in the nineties, uh, just, yeah. Like you said, just like, Oh, that's the bill and Ted dude. He's an mm-hmm. FBI agent, Johnny Utah. <laughs> like yes. I think point, my own private Idaho and point break. I know point break was kind of in his wheelhouse, but that's when he became, you know, point break and speed. I mean, he became an ultimate star. And then of course the matrix movies and now yeah. John wick. Oh, you know um, what else? I was looking at his filmography here uh, that I forgot. Mm-hmm. He was in a bit part in parenthood. He was really good in that too. Yeah. Spanking the salami. <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, Keanu, little Keanu loves always a good thing. Yes, we love Keanu. Anything you want to hit on before we move on to 981? I think I've covered most of what we got, what we have in the notes there. I don't really know of anything else really to, I mean, the the score I talked about won Golden Globe for best score. Otherwise, there, there wasn't really any other, besides the MTV Awards, there wasn't really any other big, big things for this. It's the one I want to, I definitely want to check it out now once it becomes that Netflix or something. So it's right. curious to check it out. Cool. All right. The next one. Number 981 is a film that I had been anticipating uh, when, when it came out. Uh, and I'll tell you why. But it's a James Franco film directed by Danny Boyle called 127 Hours. Uh, a mountain climber becomes trapped under a boulder while um, canyoneering alone near Moab, Utah. Moab. In Moab. Sorry, Moab. Yep. Moab, Utah, <laughs> and resorts to a desperate measures in order to survive. I should have just had you read it because read it. God, I can't even speak. That's that's the film list, folks. So this is a tr- based on a true story. <laughs> so it was, I think, 0405. I went down to San Diego to see a Chargers Buccaneers game. I went with my friend Mark. Um Jay Bird and Amanda, my friend Amanda. So we we drove down, uh, spent the night, and then we went to the Chargers game and then came back that next day. And during that night, this we were in the hotel room, maybe a lot of pot involved and drinking, <laughs> but we're of age. Um, but pot was probably illegal then. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, it's a gray area. So we were watching this. I don't know if it was A and E or one of those stations, and they they it was the documentary on this where mm. the climber is caught, mm-hmm. and his uh you know Aaron uh Ralston 
he's caught and he's doing his like dying declaration. Yeah. On, uh, the, on, on the video. Order, yeah. Yeah. But they don't, they didn't show the video, just the audio because it was very disturbing. Oh. Um, and we watched this thing and I was just like, what the hell? It was an amazing story of how he actually, I mean, spoiler alert for real life. He cuts through his arm to get out and has to walk miles and miles before two people spot him and gets rescued. Uh, Even if you know the story, it's still remarkable because you're like, how is Danny Boyle going to shoot this thing and make it, you know? And I I thought Danny did a great job. And it's funny that my favorite song at the time was uh, a Green Day song. I walk a lonely road, the only gun and I have it. Don't know where, what is that? And I uh, walk alone. Is that Boulevard of Broken Dreams? No. Bulu- no, Boulevard, Boulevard of Broken, Broken Dreams. Dreams. Yeah, there you go, Boulevard, yep. And that whole thing was like, and it reminded me of this story. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you listen to the lyrics, you're like, holy crap, is he writing about <laughs> Aaron Ralston? Uh-huh. But, and then it was funny that night after we saw it, like, I just wanted that song. And we, me and I was sharing a room with my friend Mark, and we left like MTV on, I think when they played videos in like three in the morning, he wakes up, he goes, your song's on. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and it was on TV. Uh, and I was like, Oh yeah. So. Oh, I anyway. miss those days of random road trips. So two guys like oh, that. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, $18 million budget made 18. It wasn't a huge hit. Um, James Franco, Amber Tamblin, Kate Mara, treat Williams. Um, among the cast, Lizzie Kaplan. Um, and a f- few others, Giga Kate Burton as Aaron's mom, and uh, Clements Posey as Raina. Is that a special Ando uh, find? Uh, she was in a couple of the later Harry Potter films as one of the oh, love interests. Okay. So the uh, yeah, this so, I this movie. I I think the reason this didn't make as much money because people were scared to go see it. Oh, interesting. Because I mean, I remember when this came out and it was, I mean, all the publicity said, this is the movie where the guy cuts off his own arm. And man, this is, there's a couple movies we're going to talk about tonight where I've seen them one time and I, it was an amazing, this is an amazing movie. I don't know if I could watch it again. I watched a couple scenes again today and I'm like, holy shit, this movie is so damn good. Yeah. But it's so, oh, I like, you just have an uneasy feeling almost the entire time watching it. and. Franco is oh, Franco is so good in this. I mean, Oscar nominated for best actor. I mean, just it's another movie where the score is also really excellent. I, I remember I remember actually buying the score for this album. I love the score so much. Oh, nice! I, it's just uh, I, I didn't see it until I saw it on Net, uh, Netflix disc. I think rental. I mean, I, I it, well, small movies don't usually play around here anyway. So, or I shouldn't say yeah. small, but limited release movies don't always. So, and I, I right. was one of those people for a while. I was like, I don't, do I want to go see this or not? And then I, I, I worked up the courage to see it, of course. And I was glad that I did because, I mean, Danny Boyle too is almost always, even if I don't like his films, I almost always they're always something to be engaged with. They're always worth watching. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it was a limited release, November 12th, 2010. So it was be eligible for Oscars and stuff. And wide release, January 28th, 2011. I actually didn't see it in the theater. I waited till it came out on Blu-ray and bought it and then watched it. Um, I wonder if, yeah, because most people knew the story. But I, I wonder if anyone has ever seen this without knowing the story, how they would react. Cause I knew 
the real life story. Yeah, I did too. I mean, that's it. Oh. Still was intense, though. Yeah, and it's. I think it's one of those ones where even if you and it to me, that's a sign of a high quality movie. You know the whole story of the ending, and you are still just wrapped up in the film, and just still where it's it's it, it didn't matter to me that I didn't know the ending because I was I was still just so like I said so wrapped up in the damn thing. It's such a right. It, it's hard to it. I. And even though I've only seen it once, even after that Netflix thing, I loved it so much. I went and bought the Blu-ray. I still have the Blu-ray sitting on my shelf. I've never watched it because I'm like, I don't know if I can handle this movie yet. So <laughs> it's not that I can't handle it. You know what I mean? Sometimes a movie no, like I this, know what you said. No, you really got to like, be in the mood to watch it. Like the Passion of the Christ. I went into the theater and saw the movie. I'll never probably watch that ever again. Yep. But the experience was just, oh, yeah, intense. Amazing. But it's not. I'm not going to rewatch it and rewatch it. So. For me, you know, that's why I like favorite films. I may love a film, but if I don't ever rewatch it or ever going to, I kind of don't put it in here. You know, yeah. so there's a lot of factors. Uh, there are very few that, um, you know, well, maybe like, like deliverance. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, the, and one of the scenes I rewatched today, this, this will be a very minor spoiler, but there's a there's a time, there's a, a sequence in the movie that I'd actually forgotten about. And I saw the clip. And it starts to rain. I mean, it, you end up finding he's hallucinating, so it's not. But it starts right. raining, and the and it comes in, and he gets flooded, and like he's starting to drown. And I'm just like, I could, it's almost like you feel like start to feel claustrophobic watching. And I was watching it on my computer screen. It wasn't. I wasn't watching it on my projector in the basement where it's eight feet tall. James Franco staring at me. It was eight inch James Franco, and I'm still like, holy shit, this is intense. So that's yeah. I, I, I do need to watch it again because I think I would. I think I will enjoy it again. But it's a damn fine. Film. Yeah. No, it's great. Uh, any uh, anything well, else before we move on? Tons of Oscar nominations for this. Like I said before, I mean, didn't win anything, but nominated for Best Picture and Best Actor and Best Screenplay. It it lost all of those to The King's Speech, which I think 127 Hours is a much more superior. I still film. haven't seen it. I still haven't it's, seen The King's Speech. King's Speech. I mean, it's good, but it it is what it is. You know what it is? It's a biopic, and it's Colin Firth acting his ass off. I mean, so it's good, yeah. But it's not. It's it's not one of those movies that's like, oh my god, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I mean, also best editing and best score. It lost to uh, Social Network, which another movie that's. I mean, Fincher for crying out mm. loud. So of course, right. of course, he's going to win. And Trent Reznor on score and Social Network. So, well. and then best song, it lost to Toy Story. So. At uh, Toy Story three, I should say. So it's like it got plenty of recognition and just didn't win a whole lot of things. So, yeah, ah, one hundred twenty seven hours. That's probably a fraction of what it's gonna take to go through this thousand films. Um, okay, <laughs> all right. Guilty pleasure time at nine eighty. Endo. So this was <laughs> a movie. It. It, yeah, let's just do it. it, it this movie is gonna get a lot of laughs. Uh, because I, I picked it. And remember, favorite films, and there's a reason. Okay. Well, and nobody's going to be able to argue because this movie is not available anywhere unless you want to pay like crazy prices on eBay. So, exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, this movie, um, I, it was the summer of 93. It premiered on HBO August 14th. So, this was my first summer home. After my freshman year of college. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I take that back. This was when I graduated high school before I was going to college. Um, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this was like the summer where I'm just hanging out with my friends and going out. And 
I'm ready to actually, yeah, I'm ready to go off to Syracuse and live my life. So this was a late night HBO Skinamax type movie. <laughs> um, it's called Blown Away. Now, it's not the Blown Away with Jeff Bridges. And Tommy Lee Jones, yeah. Yes, not that one. No. This, it's the Blown Away with star-studded cast of Corey Haim, Nicole Eggert, Corey Feldman, Cass, Kathleen Robertson, and, of course, Gary Farmer. Uh, so Megan, the 17-year-old daughter of a strict but wealthy businessman, falls for Rich, who works at a ski resort. Megan's mother has recently died in a car accident, which she blames on her father. Is Rich so in love with Megan that he'll walk he'll watch her kill her own father? Directed by Brenton Spencer, uh did a lot of syndicated TV shows, directed uh cinematographer on 50 episodes of The Flash on the CW, written by Robert C. Cooper, who went on to write 52 episodes of Stargate and co-creator. All right. And, and and just spoiler alert, sadly, no awards. Not even any <laughs> Razzies. No. So so this movie I watched a hundred times in the summer in August. It was just one of those movies. I was at the age, I was 18. <laughs> Nicole Eggert, I loved her. That's what I was gonna say. Loved Nicole the- Eggert, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, she's I mean, she's yeah. naked holding a big stuffed animal. I mean, she was just so sexy in this film. And then, of course, I still was young enough where I loved the Corys. <laughs> you know, I loved Dream a Little Dream and the Lost Boys. And this and, was their fourth so, film together, by the way. So, ah, okay. Ooh, I got to remember what the third one Lost Boys. The other one's a pretty famous one, Dream too. a Little Dream. License to Drive, right? Yep, correct. Yeah, okay. I love License to Drive, by the way. I was a that huge will be fan later on. The <laughs> oh, yeah. Mercedes Lane. Uh, anyway, so it was one of those, like, kind of like, teen thriller little you know cheap but it just was right in that wheelhouse i had not gone to film school yet so i was <laughs> just really getting into certain types of movies and this one just hit it for me 18 year old Heath was obsessed <laughs> with nicole eggert thought it was so cool i thought this movie was cool and one thing i will say my then i it was funny. I think it was my sophomore year. Some reason I thought this came out in '94, but um, well, the, the, you know, that info sometimes on this direct to video and direct okay. to HBO things can be a little wishy washy. So the stuff okay, I got you know off what? IMDb said the HBO premiere was in '93, but it okay, also it was on direct to video before that. Okay, it was, but you know what? I think they re aired it in '94. Oh, I'm sure they because. Did. Because that's when I first saw it. This is why, because my sophomore year of college, when I moved into my fraternity, I shared a phone with one of my fraternity brothers and on it, I recorded the, who are you? Why do I care? Beep. And that was Nicole Eggert's uh, <laughs> phone phone message. And I remember <laughs> my buddy, Sean Brannigan, my fraternity brother, his dad told him, he goes, tell Heath to, uh, changed that message he didn't like it he said it was very <laughs> pompous and very like whatever so i was like oh sorry i just you know i was into the movie it was the summer of 94 because yeah because i watched it that whole summer i was like did i only watch it for like a week in 93 so i didn't watch it till 94 well i think that was that was back when hbo had like 
25 movies and they played them over and over and over again. Yeah. So it's yeah. Yeah, I had a big uh, big life on the summer of 94 for me. So and you know, my friends watched it and we just like, oh, I gotta see this blown away. Oh, you'll love it. So that's my spiel, number 980, blown away. Any anything you want to add, Ando, you know, to my I don't, guilty pleasure. I don't think I ever saw this. I thought I had, and then I same thing today. I looked up a few clips. And I'm like, I don't remember any of this. I mean, all I can say is Nicole Eggert, it's it, I'm amazed she wasn't a bigger star. She is just absolutely stunning yeah. in this. Film. I mean, Baywatch, Charles in Charge, right? Yeah. That's, and blown it's, away. Yeah. And blown away. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. So if you can find it, I don't know. Is is the whole movie leaked on YouTube, maybe? Even that one. I I looked there before because I mean I found a few other other of these guilty pleasure ones on there, and this, it didn't even have that. It had some clips. Didn't have it. And that was it. Mm. So I'm sure if you go into the the darker areas of the internet, it's there somewhere. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm too old to figure out how to do that now. So yeah, yeah. I probably owned the DVD at some point, and then probably turned it in for like a dollar mm-hmm. or something, or fifty cents at one of those. Well, used... even the even the clips on YouTube are I mean, like extremely low res, and they're not. I mean, it's obviously not remastered or anything like that. Mm. So oh, you know what? No, I didn't have. I didn't have the DVD. I recorded it on VHS off the television. That's why how I watched it and watched it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot about those times, Ando. Uh huh. Yeah, and I, I always put it on SLP so I could put three movies on the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Currently on eBay, a, a DVD of Blown Away is selling here for eighty nine ninety eight with twenty seven dollars shipping. Jesus. Don't That's brand it. new. So. Don't pay it, folks. Don't pay that money. Yeah, cancel that order quick. <laughs> cancel it. Cancel it. I'm sure they'll have a Nicole Egger box set or Corey Hain box set or something. Yeah, well, don't, you know, don't don't spend the money. If we're done with that, maybe we should go back to the summer of 1995 since that's a big summer for you. You know what, Ando? Let's do it. So, yes, number 979. Another summer of 95 film. Oh, my God. Now... Okay, I'm just going to say what the film is and then go into it. Because, you know, the anticipation, you can't. Okay, it's in the Batman franchise, not the Chris Nolan franchise. Those are way ahead of my list. But this one, (laughs) Batman Forever. So it was released on June 16th, 1995. I bought the soundtrack. You know, you had Method Man doing the song The Riddler. You had U2, Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. Had the soundtrack. Went with my buddy Ben Bell. We saw it. I actually bought the comic, the movie comic mm-hmm. weeks before. And mm-hmm. it actually spoiled the film for me. That was the <laughs> first time I had been spoiled by a book or something, a comic book. And I'm like, Oh my God. So I knew a lot of the set pieces. I was like, why did they release this before the movie? Um, I, I had Man, that happen with the novelization of the original Tim Burton, Batman. Ah, okay. So yes, I know. And I'm glad you brought up the soundtrack before you get too far away from that because that was huge for me. Also, this movie is very formative for me too. So I, I'm excited to talk about this one. But okay, good, that, good. Kiss from a Rose by Seal was also like the number one. Oh yes, of the year. Kiss from a Rose uh, on the Green. The Offspring had a big song in there. PJ Harvey, Massive Attack, Mazzy Star. I mean, the soundtrack for this was loaded. That's right. Yeah, that was a good soundtrack. Yes. I had it on tape. I think I had it. Yeah, I had definitely had it on tape. I don't know if I had it on CD. Maybe later. 
I might no, you know what I have. I, I bet you had it on CD. I had this on CD. I'm, I'd be shocked if you didn't have it on CD at this point. 95. That's true. I, I'm. Uh, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, that's true. I got my first CD player in '89. Yeah. Um. No, what I okay, what I did was I had the CD and then recorded it on a tape and play because I don't think I had a CD in my car then. Not yet. I still had an '86 Toyota Camry. Actually, <laughs> yes, because I didn't I, get my convertible Mustang to the next year. <laughs> I had my Mercury Lynx with a little CD player that you plugged into the tape deck. <laughs> That's had that, got to sick song. of it, got pissed off because it kept skipping all the time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. But yeah, hold me, kill me, thrill me. Um, yeah, so Batman must battle former district attorney Harvey Dent, who is now two-faced, and Edward Nigma, the Riddler, with the help from an enormous psych- an enormous psychologist. Is that right? A more no. Amorous. What is that word? Amorous God, psychologist, <laughs> and a young circus acrobat who becomes a sidekick, Robin. So, also my freshman year at Syracuse, there was an open call. I think the nearest one was Boston for Robin. They were thinking about casting Robin for a new oh, Batman, yeah. and I wanted to go so bad. I was like, I want to play Robin. I was so mad when Chris O'Donnell got cast, even though I didn't audition. But when Chris O'Donnell got cast, I'm like, no, he's not a good Robin. He's, the, you know, he was okay, but you know, he was, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a little rough. Um, yeah. I do like Chris O'Donnell though, but I, I, I because I wanted to play Robin. A twenty-year-old Heath wanted to play Robin. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was yeah. a little against it, but I've since I've since accepted the fact he's Robin. So this is the this um, is the earlier version of the Boardwalk Empire thing. Yes, yeah. This is my first taste. Well, actually, my first taste was Lord of the Flies, that movie from the eighties. Oh wow! When really? I lived in yeah. Wellesley, Massachusetts, they had an open casting call, and I went with a bunch of kids. And they just talked to us about the movie. We didn't really do anything, uh-huh. and I thought I was going to get cast in that movie. And I, you know, of course, never did. But I was oh, so that wow. was the first one, and then this one was the next one that I was mad at, even though I didn't audition. <laughs> I just wanted this role anyway. It's just the whole I point. Digress. The whole point of it. Yeah, yeah. Before, uh, I I thought Batman Forever was actually for its time was really good. Um, I really liked this movie, and I, I don't mind it now. I mean, it's tough with the Chris Nolan. Batman's that's just like the ultimate Batman trilogy to me. Mm-hmm. But I do, you know, Batman Forever is good. I mean, it's colorful. I mean, you go from Batman 89, Batman Returns to now Joel Schumacher taking over the franchise and little nipples and whatnot. But <laughs> it, it was more comic booky. Uh, it definitely had more of that flair. Now, Val Kilmer becomes Batman in this. And I thought he wasn't the best Bruce Wayne, but a great physical Batman. Uh, that was my take on Val Kilmer. Yeah. I, th- um, I thought Val was fine. It was, and I mean, it was tricky because like you said, there's more comic elements. It's this one kind of feels like, like a cross between the Burton, the first Burton Batman and Adam West Batman. Right. Because right. It, and the weird thing is when I remember leaving that, I saw this also saw this one opening night. I mean, I was a, the first, yeah. the first Tim Burton Batman. I mean, that that was like a, one of those movies that will forever be seared into my head. And this one, I was at the time. I thought I saw this thing three times in the theater. I mean, I loved. I thought this thing was so amazing and so great. Right. And right. then I didn't watch it for a few years, and I've revisited it a couple times since. And I'm like, huh, 
why did I love this so much? I, I don't hate it, but I'm like, why did I love this so much? Cause if, I mean, what? And I, I was actually watching a little bit of that before we hopped on here. I'm like, this is way, way sillier than I remember. I mean, it, it yeah. the, some of the over, like some Val Kilmer's not overacting a whole lot, but some of the other cast members, like Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey are chewing as much scenery as they can get. And it's just, a, it's a weird, it's got a weird tone to it too. So it's, but yeah, I, I was yeah. obsessed with this movie when it came out. Yeah, looking back, because, I mean, Nicole Kidman as Dr. Chase Marit, she looks so good in this movie. Yes. I, I mean, she is stunning. And this is when I was like, oh, Nicole, leave Tom for me. Yes. Um, and she didn't, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> well, she did leave yeah. him eventually. Just yeah, she, she, she lost your number. Yeah. That was my favorite like couple, though. Cruz and Kidman. Uh, I was big fans. Um, oh, John Favreau as assistant. Yes. I didn't even know. <laughs> I oh, this didn't was either. post swingers. Well, probably got a good payday. Mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore as Sugar plays gets a little uh um appearance. She just I think she just wanted to be in the the movie and just took the little role. Um now well, and that was before she had her like that was before Scream and a few of those other ones where she was still trying to I think trying to get back into because there was a while there where she didn't do a whole lot. I think this was one of her right. boys on the side. I remember, but it was kind of an ensemble, right? Mm-hmm. Matt, uh, Mad love with Chris O'Donnell before that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And that can't, no, that's not summer of 95. That might be or 96. Maybe the, no, I I played no, the summer of 95. I played the uh, mad love soundtrack. So I think it came out in 95. I think mad love. Right I actually referenced time. that yeah. in my senior thesis movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. God, go figure. I, I'll have to show you that sometime. <laughs> yes, oh, <boy>. you do. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, now, I remember they were doing Bat. This is technically Batman 3. Didn't Tim, Tim Burton and Michael Keaton start on it and then they left the project? Yeah, there was a whole bunch of, there was a, it was something, I can't remember what the exact thing was. It was, it started as that. And I think, I think there was some stuff from Warner's where they wanted to make it more kid friendly because like with Batman Returns, that movie's dark as hell. And very dark. Especially for a bat, for a DC Batman film at that time. I mean, compared to the Nolan stuff, that's not dark, but at that time, I mean, thinking about back to that time, Batman and Superman were really the only things that had even been successful on the big screen for comic right. book stuff. So it was, it was a different, there was something there. And I know the, uh, just these, all four of these original Batman movies, like it's been a while since I've listened to them, but I listened to the director's commentary on the, 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 the Schumacher one specifically, because I'm like, mm-hmm. what the hell was going on? And one, I don't know if it was this one or Batman and Robin and Schumacher said something to the effect of Warner brothers wanted to make sure these films were toyetic, meaning uh... they could produce a shitload of toys on these. Right. And if you watch them, if you watch especially these two, thinking of that in your mind, it's pretty obvious that there. And I think that might have been part of why there's so many contrasting styles and all this stuff too. It's I don't know. It's a it's a strange strange thing. Yeah. Yeah. The hmm. the other thing I was going to bring up about this movie, and I was thinking about this while I'm watching it, and I started looking at some of the. I was like, why? Because it was the number one grossing movie of the year, and it was. I mean, it was massive. And I'm looking at the cast, and I looked at some of the stuff around this time. This cast at the time was like we mentioned Nicole Kidman earlier. To Die For just was coming out like a couple months after that, which was a lot. A lot of people saw as her big, her really big breakout. Jim Carrey had just finished up in Living Color, 
1994, Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber all in 1994. So he was red yeah, hot. Yeah, I remember that was big to get him as the Riddler. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones, the four or five, like in the, the three or four years leading up to that, Oscar nomination for JFK. Under Siege, he was re- awesome in that. Won the Oscar oh, yeah. for The Fugitive. And the year before, The Client, Natural Born Killers, Cobb. I mean, even Val Jesus. Kilmer had The Doors, True Romance, and Tombstone were just a year or two before that. He had Heat that came out a couple months after that. This cast was yep. like on fire. This was all, huge. It's, yeah. it's just an amazing cast when you think of that. It's an amazing snapshot of the early to mid-90s. You know what's funny? This is kind of the... Okay, this would be the, for me, would be the start of, remember, you know, before that, I mean, going back to Batman 66 and all that, if you played a superhero, your career was done. Yep. You know, you were, you were typecasted. I mean, look at Christopher Reeve. He made, he's made some great work, you know, Death Trap and a few things, but never, everyone saw him as Superman. This is the first time you're getting established actors in a film where this isn't, they don't need this movie necessarily for their big break, like a, like a Brandon Routh who was in Superman returns. Right. Mm-hmm. It, this, these are big stars doing this and they, they go on to do bigger, bigger things as well. Well, and I um, think, I think really, I think it's, it started with the first Batman because Jack Nicholson, I mean, he, Oh he, yeah, yeah, that's true. He really, but like, he took like a percentage of the gross, uh, he made like some yeah. crazy, like $80 million or something for that. Cause he took percentages and all this other stuff. But he really, but this took it to a whole new level where. Yeah, they, that's that's what I mean. Yeah. They paid for one star for that first one. Cause I mean, Keaton was a, an actor everybody knew, but he wasn't a mega star like Jack was. Right. But then after that, then this one is where they really took it all the way to like every role is something every that's role. big. Well, I guess you could say Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor as well. Um, that, I mean, he was. It was, but stacked. I think, I think too with that, was I don't it? remember what year. Because the well, last it was after Superman. the French connection. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That was like 79 so, or 80 was for Superman. But what I'm what I was going to say, though, is after Superman four, that movie's awful. I mean, it kind of oh, killed the quest for peace. Was yeah. so, it kind of yeah, killed the superhero a, thing for a few years. Yeah, it did. It did. Uh, yeah, I saw that in the theater. Uh, you know, oh, there's like this director's. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's this director's cut that's out there, but you can't find it. Mm -hmm. Like, I just want to see it. I I just want to see the director's cut. Isn't this this the one, too, where one of the Wayans brothers was cast and then got cut as Robin and then got cut out or they they trashed it? And he had some deal where he still gets paid residuals for this, even though he was really. Oh, I didn't know that. I have to let me see if I can find that quick. Hmm. So while you're doing that, it was three Oscar nominations, best cinematography lost to Braveheart, best sound lost to Apollo 13, best sound effects lost to Braveheart, but it did win the blockbuster award for favorite actress action and adventure for Nicole Kidman. Um, $184 million it made in America on a hundred million dollar budget. Originally, uh, uh, Marlon Wayans was supposed to play Robin and he got swapped out at the last minute. And he still receives way and still receives royalty checks for it. Wow. So I don't good. know Marlon Wayans as Robin. It seems odd. It just seems like odd casting. I mean, um, I mean, and it's not because he's African American. I mean, I maybe for the time it might not have been as re- good received, unfortunately. But I'm trying to think who would be at that time 
Well, for a long time, the Riddler was supposed to be played by Robin Williams. Was the big? Oh, that's right. Thing going yeah. around. Yeah, Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans. Yep. Really, Mar- oh, Marlon Wayans. Yep. Oh, I'm thinking of Ke- Keenan Ivory Wayans, his brother. No, okay. Yeah, Marlon was younger. Well, you know, now that I think about it, I mean, I'm not going to say he would be better than Chris O'Donnell, but. It might not have been as bad as it sounds. Yeah, I, I think it might have been okay because you know, I think good because he's a good looking dude and well, and he's got yeah. like it. Yeah, I think he would have sold the comedic lines a lot better because the, the one thing about Chris O'Donnell, I'm a, I, I generally like Chris O'Donnell, but his his comedic delivery in some of these lines was a little yeah, too stiff. It's not I that think. great, yeah. too stiff. Yeah, he's very stiff in this movie. It's like the oh my god! Now that I'm thinking back. of Marlon Wayne, yeah. I'm thinking he would have been better. It, it might have been. Yeah, it's. It's a it's a cool little side story. There's a lot of a lot of little weird. I wish I would have I wish I would have listened to that commentary more recently because there was tons of the Schumacher commentaries on the special edition DVDs are really fascinating to watch on these two. I wow. So now I'm thinking, hmm. Well, that's that's some interesting food for thought, but we'll <laughs> never get to see it. Nope. And we will never get to see our Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Any last words on Batman forever or forever? Are you done? I I think we can I think we can move on to a, a, yet another movie with just a stunning woman in it. All right, and a stunning man. Well, <laughs> yes, a very handsome man. Maybe the most uh, attractive, probably the most handsome man. Yes, yeah, yeah. This might be. Uh, and actually, if you look at the the, the supporting cast, there's some good lookers in there. Yes, oh, okay, exactly. So I know this. As when you and Axel did the pod, uh, I had basically the first hundred films of the thousand kind of there, even though now I'm kind of like finalizing as we go. So it's not in stone until we podcast about it. And I remember Axel looking at this movie and be like, really? That's on your list? (laughs) So I don't think Axel likes this movie. Uh, But it came out June 10th, 2005. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it broke up a big, re- this movie broke up a big relationship, I believe. Yes, it did. Uh, in the world of Hollywood. Anyway, coming in at 978, there's a Amazon Prime series about it now. But the original action husband and wife, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, made $180 million on a $110 million budget. A bored married couple is surprised to learn they are both assassins hired by competing agencies to kill each other. Directed by Doug Lyman, speaking of swingers yep. uh, and born identity. Uh, written by Simon Kinberg. Uh, loosely based on the 1941 film Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Stars Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt. Got a little Adam Brody in there. Vince Vaughn as Eddie. Kerry Washington as Jasmine. Keith David as father, Michelle Monaghan as Gwen, and I think uh, Stephanie March is in it. For, she she was the DA in Law and Order SVU. Yeah, she has a small role. There was quite a few other people that were recognizable. I was like, I'll just cut it off at seven or eight because we just keep we kept going all day all yeah. night with this cast. Well, there's no surprise. I'm a very very huge Brad Pitt fan, <laughs> and aside from. Maybe seven years in Tibet, and maybe some other couple others. I love every everything he does. Um, and he's paired up with Angelina Jolie, and the sex on the screen, just the sexiness of both of these human beings, it's, just it's, is worth the price of admission. And you know the chemistry they have; it's some of the best chemistry 
It is in the last twenty. Yeah, I, I, I personally, if I ever do my top one thousand, this movie will be much higher than nine seventy eight. I think this is ah. a very fun, just fun spy action. I, I think this movie is completely underrated. I didn't. It was one I didn't see in the theaters. So I was like, eh, well, whatever. And I remember Claire and I, we were still engaged before we were married, and we rented another Netflix DVD. We're like, well, let's let's watch this on a Saturday night. And we just both were like, holy shit, this is fun. It's entertaining. Yeah, I think it's a great, great entertaining movie. Entertaining action. You got two, I mean, you got an Academy Award winner, and then one that became an Academy Award winner, mm-hmm. uh, Brad Pitt. Uh, I, I just, I, I love it. Brad Pitt is so effing cool. I mean, he's just the coolest yes. freaking dude. I mean, I freaking love that man. And I'll tell a little story. So I, uh, I decided to do some like extra work. Normally I don't do extra work because, you know, I, I've worked a ton with getting lines and being an extra is kind of looked down upon, especially Especially for me, I just completed a feature film as the lead, and then I'm doing extra work a year so later. It'd be kind but, of a, a reputation hit, almost kind of a right. maybe not reputation but, hit, but you're not looked as at the same level. I'm not, yeah, so I'm doing this, and I'm not. I'm doing this extra work on this movie, but I'm doing it because of the two people involved, and I just want to be a part of it. So mm-hmm. I said, "Screw it." It's a new movie coming out called Wolves with George Clooney and Brad Pitt. And so I was like, screw it. You know, I'm uh, cause there's a thing called central casting where, you know, you, you, you get an appointment, you go in, you take a headshot, whatever your resume, everything. And then they'll call you if you're available. And actually what I'll do is like, if I got nothing to do and they call me for something cool, I'll, I might do it. I've, I, I did like two things last year. Um, just because I was like, you know what? I got nothing to do. I get to go on set, sit around, eat great food and talk with other people, you know? So it's actually, I don't look at it as I want to be discovered. I actually look at it as don't notice me. I'm just here to get paid pretty well, help towards my health insurance and Uh eat and just, you know, you start talking with other people and you start just shooting this shit. It's a lot of fun. So I look at it that way. Um, so wolves with Pitt and Clooney coming out later this year. And I played one and there was a bunch of hitmen. And where it's a, it's a massacre. So I'm laying down in like blood. And I, I, I mean, I got gunshot <laughs> in my head, you know, all kind and a sword next week. I guess I sliced someone. And for, I don't know, five or six hours, I'm lying on a floor getting up and Pitt and Clooney are shoot are are coming in with guns and saying lines right next to me, <laughs> like, you know, oh, within 10 feet of me. Oh, so this is cool. And then while we're waiting, it's funny. Clooney comes in. He goes, all right, boys, you better. Uh, it, was, it was like 20 of us. All right, boys, get something to eat. You're going to be on the floor for a long time. <laughs> it was so funny. But like, I'm, but I'm literally like, can't look at them because where I'm angled, I got, you know, of course, I, I, I'm dead. Yeah. playing a dead body. <laughs> but I can hear their yet. voices like nobody's business. And I'm just like, I'm so close. Oh. I'm like, my boys, Clooney and Pitt. So. So, yeah, so I, you know, I didn't really, I don't think I, I maybe told Axel, but I didn't really tell anyone I did, you know, some extra work. I kind of keep it, you know, on the download. I'm looking at it right now. It looks freaking cool. Amy Ryan, too. I like her, too. Yeah, it does help that it goes, it does, you get paid SAG uh, background wages, but it goes towards your medical and health. So 
So, you know, it would have, whatever, like, hopefully I won't have to do that anymore, but I, you know, I had the opportunity and I was like, you know what, oh. screw it. And you know what? It's got to feel freaking cool just to be able to say I was in a movie with Brad Pitt and George Clooney. I mean, that's <laughs> that's just cool as hell. Wow. Yeah, it was a bucket list thing. I, I doubt I'll ever act with them um, in anything. Uh, you never know, but I, odds are I won't. Uh, well, we'll see. The Star City Murders is coming out. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see you know, how good that does. <laughs> and most of those guys, I think Clooney, I think, is one of those guys that watches everything too, doesn't he? Probably. Like some I mean, of those I actors, did, you hear about that. Like, uh, I think Bradley Cooper is another one too, where they just watch everything that comes out. Yeah, so you never Kevin know. Kevin Smith is like that too. Yeah. yeah, no, you never know. I mean, I'll take a line, uh, yeah. you know, and get punched <laughs> by Brad Pitt or something, or Clooney. You know, you never know. But, um, but I, yeah. So I just thought, I, let me do this opportunity. It's just so, and it paid very well because we went many hours, multi, a couple of nights. So it actually paid really well. So it, it worked out. And when you're on a production with Clo- Clooney and Pitt, they don't care what the hours are. I mean, they it's care what it's like, They I'm go sure. over budget. If we go to overtime, it's okay. Yeah. Because, but they, I mean, they're just professional, coolest dudes on the planet. And so that that's why I did. So anyway, as a getting back to Mr. and Mrs. Smith, of course, it just, just love this pair. I love, like you said, the chemistry, the action. Thought it was well done. I'm, I'm a big Doug Lyman fan. I think he does great work. Yep, and I, that's why I it's at 978 for me. Yeah, it, who knows? It could be higher. I may rewatch it and be like, damn it, I could move this 100 or 200. But well, no, this is a good spot for it. It's it's one I haven't rewatched in a long, probably been 10 years. But I, I just talking about it again, I'm like, God, I want to watch it again. And Doug me Lyman too. Also. Well, I'm, I'm I know my, love, of, my wife loves this movie. Yeah, so Mine does as well. Oh, Keith would, David's in it too. That's the other uh, Doug Liman film I was going to mention that I absolutely love is Live, Die, Repeat or Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. I yep. I, I would kill for a sequel to that as well. I've Liman's got a few stinkers in there, but he when he's on fire, man, he is good. So Wait a minute. That's the first movie I took my wife to when we were dating, I believe. The, I believe Tom that's Cruise the first. One? Yeah, I believe that's the first movie we ever saw in the theater together. Because wow. we started dating in 2014. I believe, yeah. I believe that's the first one. Yeah, because Jurassic World's our engagement movie. <laughs> I I had this whole thing planned to, for the pop the question. I didn't want to lose the ring. I, I was like, I got five days. I, so I just did it at her place, and we went out to P.F. Chang's and went and saw Jurassic World. <laughs> well, our first uh, our first movie is a George Clooney film, actually. Ocean's 12 was the first movie we went saw nice. together. So. So yeah, I think we might be talking about George Clooney again a little bit later. So, oh yes, we will. <laughs> um, so it won the MTV Movie Award for Best Fight for Brad and Angelina. Uh, won the Russian yes. MTV Movie Award for Best <laughs> International Movie. <laughs> I didn't even know there was MTV in Russia, so I, I thought I that was that, that was either. worth putting out. I didn't think it was allowed, <laughs> but it probably was edited down to about two and a half minutes. It was just the trailer, probably. Nostrovia, Nostrovia. <laughs> so, all right, moving on to 977, Ando, unless you have anything you want to add? Nope, I, I'm, I'm ready to move on to the next, the next film. This is a, I'm, I want to hear, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know why this film okay. is on here. So, okay, I will tell you why. At number 977, I know everyone hates this movie, but it's a 
Heath Sentazo, Heath Solo, uh, guilty, guilty pleasure, but big with his childhood. It's called G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. <laughs> it was released on August 9th, 2009, made $150 million, $175 million budget, so it didn't do well. An elite military unit comprised of special operatives known as G.I. Joe, operating out of the pit, takes on an evil organization led by a notorious arms dealer, directed by Stephen Summers, who did The Mummy, The Mummy Returns, Van Helsing, written by Stuart Beatty, Pirates of the Caribbean, Collateral, one of my favorites, and David Elliott and Paul Lovett. Dennis Quaid as General Hawk, Channing Tatum as Duke, Chris Eccleson as Destro, Sienna Miller as the Baroness, Ray Park as Snake Eyes, Lee Byung-Hun as Storm Shadow, Adewale, Baje, Echo as Mr. Henry. Echo, yeah, just Mr. Echo. Mr. Echo. Marlon Waynes as Ripcord. Marlon Waynes, people. <laughs> Should have been Robin. Yeah. Jonathan Price and Joseph Gordon-Levert as Cobra Commander. All right, this is why. I actually was a huge G.I. Joe fan, the animated series. I had every action figure, everything. <laughs> when I was growing up, Loved G.I. Joe, and I had been waiting for it. And when it came out, I actually went to the theater. My parents were in town. Uh, it was, yeah, it was 09. So we were going, we were doing the West Coast ballparks, San Francisco, oh, yeah. LA, Anaheim, San Diego. And so we went up to Universal City Walk, went to the theater, uh, and saw this. And I felt, I guess, because I was with my parents, I felt like a kid. So <laughs> yep. I was just like, I was really enjoying this and Sienna Miller as the Baroness. I freaking loved freaking Dennis Quaid, baby as Hawk. This like, cast is actually pretty uh, awesome cast here. Yeah. And it, it, uh, it's not the greatest movie. Okay, folks, it, it, it's not, but I thought it was a lot better than people thought it was. Um, or, or a lot of people didn't like it. I loved it. <laughs> it's, I just know, did. I can't, I I suspected this was why this 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 is why this movie was on here. I'm also a big. I mean, GI Joe was a huge part of my. I've got tons. Most of my toys, unfortunately, didn't survive because they were destroyed in explosions and ran over by lawnmowers and things. But I have like the yeah. I have the complete animated series box set literally sitting on the shelf next to me right now. I I'm, and nice. I was I was this way for a couple of years earlier, and I think the whole reason this one got made was when Transformers first came out. And right. the first Transformers, because I was also a massive Transformers fan. And oh, remember, yeah, that was... I remember yeah. going to the theater to see that, and with, after the Paramount logo comes up and it says Hasbro flashes, and the crowd that was sold out was all people my age, and everybody just goes nuts for a Hasbro logo. <laughs> yeah. and so I was having flashbacks to see Transformers with this one, too. So it's... And, and I think it's... I don't hate it. I don't think it's terrible. It's a fun, it's, it's fun. It's a fun little action movie, and it has lots of little Easter eggs for those of us that did like the animated series and had all the little three-and-a-half-inch toys. And, yeah, so... Oh, it's, yeah. It, it is what it is. I, I was definitely not going to give you shit about it. I was just I'm like, I wonder if this is the same oh, it's reason. Okay. It's okay. I know Axel would. Um, well, I was just but, figuring, I'm like, I wonder if this is the same reason why I enjoy right. that first Transformers movie. And it is the same reason. So I, I, I yeah, because it wasn't it wasn't that I think this is the greatest uh, war movie. Yeah, no, movie not even a little bit. But I, I don't think it would. I think it would have if they would have taken a super serious approach. I think it would have not worked. So it's yeah, supposed to be I don't fun. think it would have. Yeah. That, and that's the thing. I had a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really did. Um, I. Now the sequel, 
was okay. I remember it's probably not going to be in the top thousand. I remember like Bruce Willis, The Rock, and yeah. Well, I remember there's a really cool fight on the side of a mountain, like where guys are on, like Storm Shadow. The ninjas are like on these. uh, What do you call them? Like oh yeah, like the repelling things down. They're fighting on the side of the mountain. I remember that being super cool. I don't remember anything else about this besides besides (laughs) The Rock and I think Channing Tatum goes out in like the first five minutes, doesn't he? Yeah, and they they filmed flat and this is the sequel we're talking about and they filmed flashbacks because he was becoming a big star. So they added like flashbacks. They added extra scenes. They shot. I want to say when I was doing a little research too, he was really unhappy with the way this movie, because he had like a three picture deal, I think. And he was really unhappy Uh, with the way the first one turned out and wanted to be killed off. Oh, well, there you go. I also read something very interesting that they actually use footage from Black Hawk Down in this movie. Really? Yes. If you in the credits, it'll says archival footage from Black Hawk Down, courtesy of Columbia or Sony or whoever it was that made it. <laughs> yeah, wow. I, I don't know which part of the movie it is, but oh, I'm like, wow. oh, that's interesting. This is starting to go down a peg. <laughs> I say uh, it's still fun. Yeah, you know, I, I it, it for me, I love the cast and. It just, I was happy this movie got made because mm-hmm. uh, I, I doubt they would ever do, I, I doubt they would do one now. I, maybe a Netflix series or something. Yeah, well, but, and they've still had, uh, I think it has been on Netflix. They've, or I can't remember where it is. They've still been making some animated stuff occasionally. So, and you know oh, what? Okay. Think of it this way. The biggest hit of last year was based on a toy. They're, the, Barbie. Barbie. I mean, yeah, maybe they'll actually decide to make something out of GI Joe that is a little more not like this and do something completely different with it. So. <laughs> not like this. Well, you know what I mean. You know what I no, mean. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, no, I. You know, again, it, it was more the experience for me, mm-hmm. and I'm a big Dennis Quaid guy, um, and Mr. Echo. Uh, but no, I just, <laughs> it just. It, and I actually do love Sienna Miller as the Baroness. I thought was awesome. I really did. I really yeah, thought she was great. Another one that's very easy on the eyes as well. Yeah, I don't. So. I haven't seen her much in a, in quite a while. I wonder if she is she still acting. Yeah, I'm sure she is. I think she was in something recently I saw, but now I can't remember. Yeah, I, I don't either. Um, well, I mean, Channing Tatum should have been happy because he won. What a choice action adventure movie actor! A, <laughs> the Teen Choice Awards. Short, a Teen Choice Awards. Yes. I mean, come on, Channing. It was nominated for six Razzies. Oh my God! Including worst picture, director, screenplay, supporting actor, supporting actress. Ah, oh, I'm not gonna lie. This block of films may have some bad films in your eyes, guys, but they're my favorite. So. Hey, there's, oh, there's... Speaking of bad films, <laughs> but I got a great story. So coming in at 976, um, premiered at the Houston Film Festival on April 21st, 1990. Um, it was a film that I saw. Well, let me just give it. Okay. It's called, drum roll, Red Surf. And people are probably like, what the hell is this? I'll tell you what it is. A surfer enjoys life with drug money together with his gang in 1980s California. His girlfriend is pregnant and will not be in a house with drugs and guns and is going to Portland, Oregon to see Axel. Can he quit the drugs, the gang, and score the last big deal? Directed by H. Gordon Booz, 
Uh, he was first AD on Platoon, Tucker, Godfather 3, Cobb, Tin Cup, The Rookie. Huh. Stars, George Clooney as Rem- Remar, Doug Savant as Attila, Dee Dee Pfeiffer as Rebecca, and yes, kiss his own Gene Simmons as <laughs> oh, Doc. Gene. All right. So <laughs> this movie, when when I started watching ER, I started loving it. Loved George Clooney. Was like, oh, that's the dude from Facts of Life, Roseanne. So I started going back and watching Clooney's old movies. And there were really bad movies. And he would be on like Letterman or something, be like, Yeah, I was in Return of Horror High, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. So he was like so owned it and was like, Yeah, I did them. And actually, it just came out on Blu-ray last year and I bought it. I didn't realize it just got released finally, but it was it's called Grizzly's Revenge, like two. It's him and Charlie Sheen. In the young in this horror movie, really? Have I you ever heard? I, of it? heard I have not. I have heard of Red okay. Surf. I have not heard of this. That's that's interesting. Okay, so that one I still haven't watched it yet. <laughs> I got it in the wrapper, but I saw it and I'm like, oh my god, this is a gem. So I bought it, uh, along with uh, Drive-In Movie Massacre. I can't wait to watch that. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Red Surf, it's a low budget '80s. Yeah, you got you got Doug Savant and George Clooney, whose voices are they're so young, their voices are so high pitched. Gene Simmons <laughs> is just Gene Simmons, you know. Uh, there's a cool jet ski uh, scene at the end. Mm-hmm. It's a rough movie, but I kind of it was one of those movies I watched because of George Clooney, and I'm like, you know what? This isn't as bad as I thought. I think I had the VHS of it. I do have the DVD. Now, five years ago, I'm working at my bar, and who comes into my bar with a bunch of people? Doug Savant. <laughs> Doug Savant comes in. Nice. So he comes up to me. I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? Big fan. Super nice guy. I go, I got to tell you this. I used to have a VHS copy of Doug Savant. I mean, of Red Surf. <laughs> Red Surf. And he starts off. He goes, dude, he goes, George would find that so funny. so it was kind of cool to share that red surf moment with doug savant at the bar um so yeah super nice guy uh really really was a pleasure to meet him met met a lot of celebs in the bar days uh, a lot of cool people but yeah this is a guilty pleasure I, i i it's better than return to horror high and a return of the deck of the killer tomatoes it's, you know, it is what it is, but it's kind of, I don't know. I, I I just dig it. It comes in at 976. I'm a Clooney guy, a Doug Savant guy. Uh, yeah. So I love Red Surf. Well, this <laughs> one, I love it. This one actually is available in its entirety on YouTube. Oh, wow. And okay. when we, you and I first talked about doing this episode, I don't know, two, three months ago. So, I I have watched this movie since then. Oh God, you watched it more recent than I have. Yeah, well, and I, I had heard of this movie before because I had heard Clooney and people talk about it, and I remember a long time ago hearing Quentin Tarantino saying he was a huge fan of this film. Oh, and, he, and nice. Tar- Tarantino, obviously, I mean, everybody that knows Tarantino knows there's some movies he likes that are like, is that really that good? But, um, 
when I saw this thing, after my own heart, I mean, and it really, it, it feels like it's a halfway between point blank, point blank, or excuse me, point break and a Tarantino movie. And it doesn't quite work as either one of those (laughs) because it's it's not quite as over the top as point break. Point. Why I'm having problems with that word. Hey, join the club and uh, join the club. It's not quite as over the top as Point Break is, but it's also not quite as just as Tarantino as a Tarantino is. But the thing I I noticed about it is even then Clooney is still just you can't not watch him. He's damn his like his screen presence even in a movie like charming, compelling, and it's and really this part I can. I, I later, t- after watching it, I tracked down an interview with Tarantino and it's like a two minute clip of Tarantino and Clooney together. And Tarantino gave Clooney an uh, audition for Reservoir Dogs. Yes, I was just going to say that. Out of and, and I think that's why he, I mean, t- uh, Tarantino cast or uh, wrote uh, From Dust Till Dawn, which. Oh, it totally is. They wanted and, to work together. And as Clooney was starting to get bigger with ER, yes. that was the perfect opportunity for them to oh, collaborate and, and work. And, Tarantino actually directed an episode of ER later too. That's yes, crazy. he did. But the yes, but he even this character he plays him. here reminds me of Seth Gecko in Dust Till Dawn, mm. or a little bit of Jack Foley and Out of Sight, or and even Danny Ocean. Right, elements right. of this like this criminal scumbag in some of these roles, but you still like him because he's so damn charismatic. And it was just, yep. it, I, I've it's like I said, it's not a good movie, but just seeing Clooney in it and seeing early Clooney, like this was a couple years before ER premiered. So it, he's as, as definitely before he's a big star. So it was. I, I'm glad I watched it. I will never watch it again. And I mean, I also have to celebrate any movie where they drink copious amounts of the champagne of Beers Miller High Life because they must have sponsored this because it's High Life in every other scene. But yeah, it was. Right. It was. I had no idea what to expect when I saw this on the list. I'm like, I've heard of this. I at least need to check it out. I was just going to watch five minutes, and you know, I just kind of left it playing. I'm like, eh, this Clooney's watchable in it. I mean, Gene Simmons yeah. is really, really, really bad. But yeah. And uh, Dee Dee Pfeiffer's not not terrible in this either. She's another kind of a theme here. A lot of attractive women on these movies. She's also extremely attractive. It's Michelle Pfeiffer's sister, if nobody knows that. But yes, yeah, very, she recently was in Big Sky. Yes, show on for ABC. Yeah, three seasons. But so yeah, I, I had I had a few thoughts on this. I, that was one thing. If if we would have just planned this podcast like a week ago, I, there's no way I would have watched this. But since like, we had a couple months to think, we like, had oh, some time. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, so. Yeah, usually usually happens. Hey, Andal, let's do a film lesson three months later. Yes. Yeah. Well, it gave me time to catch up on everything, almost everything. No, but so. thank you for that tidbit because this, to me, now it makes sense. Like Tarantino, of course, would love this. He's mm-hmm. got that taste where, yeah. I mean, he's my favorite, all-time favorite director. Well, Fincher, him and Fincher are 1A, 1B. I, you know, that's that's tough. But I Tarantino it's... still because he changed my life. But um. Cantino and Pearl Jam in the Cowboys in the nineties changed my life. Anyway. Uh, but it's just like the fact that he, I know he likes a lot of like one movie I love is called CC and company with Joe Namath. Ooh, it's one of those. One. And, Joe okay, Namath? They show, yeah. The quarterback. He's <laughs> awesome in it. Let me tell you, he's like oh. in a biker gang. I think he, I forget if he's undercover or is he just in a, no, he's in a biker gang and, but he's really good in it, and they show clips of it in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay, yes. So that's where you might have seen a clip, or if you yeah. watch that movie. Yeah. But I, I always liked that movie because uh-huh. I, I, and when it, 
and I hadn't seen it in years. And then when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out, and they, I'm like, oh, I got to revisit it. And I, you know, I so I bought it and <laughs> watched it, and I'm like, oh. But anyway, I, but that movie will be in my top 1,000 somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait. I love that movie. But yeah, no, Red Surf. It's a good old school Clooney early movie, and yeah, I love the origin because of that. He got a audition for Reservoir Dogs. I mean, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tarantino's I you know cool, probably yeah. working in the video store, and it well, and you can in. definitely see. I mean, like I said, a lot of it feels like what Tarantino would end up making with Reservoir Dogs and bits of Pulp Fiction. And it's not. I mean, it's not nowhere near the level of those, obviously. But you can tell why Tarantino. I mean, why he's the master of taking things out of shitty movies and turning them into gold. I mean, you can definitely tell this is one of those movies. Like, I remember one time, I don't remember what it was. It was one of his recommendations, I think, when Kill Bill was coming out. He's like, well, it's based on these 25 different movies. And one of them was just this old (laughs) shitty kung fu movie. And I'm like, how can he sit through this? This is just not. But there was like a one 30-second sequence that was cool. And he took that 30-second sequence and made it awesome. So, yeah, Tarantino is amazing. He's a student of film and he'll watch anything and, mm-hmm. and be able to, you know, take little things out of certain things. And um, one thing film school did for me was for a period of time, I, I didn't like anything because I kept criticizing. Oh, yeah. And I had to get out of that because I was hating a lot of movies. Yeah. And I was like, you know, not I mean, not all of them, but I, I, I wasn't given movies a chance. I would stop watching them if I thought yep. they didn't grab me, you know. And yeah. so I, you know, then after college i kind of said you know i can't do this anymore i got i got to enjoy movies it so kinda, i got it out sucks of all the fun out of it yeah yeah exactly well speaking of sucking the fun out of <laughs> a lot of stuff <laughs> let's go back to space ando oh okay let's do it all right all right coming in at number 975 is a star wars prequel episode 2 attack of the clones released on may 16th 20 2002 Made $310 million in America on $150 million budget. It was uh, number two at the box office in 02 behind Spider-Man. Wow, only one fifteen. That seems uh, reasonable. Doing a big budget movie. So, <laughs> so 10 years after initially meeting, Anakin Skywalker shares a forbidden romance with Padme Amidala, while Obi-Wan Kenobi discovers a secret clone army crafted for the Jedi. Directed by George Lucas, written by George Lucas and Jonathan Hales. It's the fifth theatrical Star Wars film, second in the prequel trilogy. All right. Let me just, I saw it in the theater. A bunch of kids were there. Had a great time. As did I. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I don't feel this movie is like a great film. It's one of my favorites because of, the, of certain set pieces. Django Fett in the rain. Yoda. Like seeing him fight there were elements of this movie that i really loved and i loved the Django fett storyline and stuff and yeah so cloning stuff yeah yeah so there i thought there were a lot of cool there were like three or like four or five cool set pieces that i loved you know i know a lot of people have problems with the prequels i don't have as much problem with the prequels as most people do but I, I felt they got better. Like I loved Darth Maul in the first one and just to have star Wars back was a big thing. Second one. Wow. All these set pieces. I'm not a huge Anakin fan, but you know, I love these set pieces. And then the third one, revenge of the Sith. I really liked. So it kind of like, and again, this was 
it was tough because these, you know, the prequels came after the Matrix, and it was only, you know, anyway, yeah. it was it was like damn. the game had been changed, um, and Star Wars didn't didn't see, change, didn't yeah. see it coming. Yeah, there there were issues with the, pre- I mean, with the prequel, there's issues, and especially with this movie. Um, but I have it here because of my experience seeing it in the theater, being around a bunch of little kids. They weren't my kids; they just happened to be there with their parents. Them enjoying the hell out of it brought me back to a 10 year, you know, a seven year old or whatever, eight year old. And I just, again, this is another one like G.I. Joe, where it was just the experience. And in watching it again and again, I like this movie. I don't think it's great, but I do think some of those set pieces are amazing. I mean, seeing Yoda fight, uh, I was about to say David Najoku. <laughs> I think he's a tight end of the Browns. He, play, he plays tight end, and then he, he wields a lightsaber. Yeah, it's awesome. Even. But uh, Doku, Do, Doku, right? Sorry, Star Wars fans. Count Do, Dooku. 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 Count Dooku. Yep. Yeah. Count Dooku. Like I love, I love that when he does. You know, he does the actually the Matrix hand thing. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, Christopher Lee is. He's he's great. This, another, this is a great cast too. It's. You know, yeah. I actually have very similar feelings to this one because I'm a, ma- especially obviously original trilogy is three of my all time favorite films. So, I mean, I was hyped for, hyped for the prequels when they came. I mean, Phantom Menace, I went to one of those uh, in up in the Twin Cities. There was a 24 hour screening and the first ones me and my friends could get into was a 3 a.m. screening. I mean, I went to a sold out movie at three o'clock in the morning to see the, fr- I mean, I'm, I'm, yep. I'm hardcore yep. on this stuff and this movie, like it's, it's frustrating, but it's the highs are so high. The, the good parts are so freaking good. The low part, it's like a roller coaster, and not necessarily in a in a way like a movie like Aliens is, where it's a roller coaster is great all the time. There's yeah. some of the stuff in this is just like some of the worst stuff in Star Wars too. Like the stuff with the with the love story stuff where they're rolling around in the hay and all. I mean, that stuff is the dialogue is so bad. And it's just, oh, I normally don't like to criticize writing, but it's just, it's, yeah, it's oh, pretty rough. It's and but then, like you said, the, the stuff on the cloning planet with all the in out in the the fight in the rain, the Yoda fight, the last forty five minutes where where there's like thirty five Jedi's all fighting all these droids all at the same time. It's just awesome stuff. So it's like I say, it's a movie that really frustrates me. I remember one of my best experiences of viewing this was when the DVDs came out and. That was this was one of those ones that had like sixty chapters in the movie, and each chapter literally you could skip past the Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen rolling around in the hay scenes, and you could just skip it, skip those scenes, and directly go back to the cloning stuff with Django and Obi Wan. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this movie—if they would have cut some of that out, I think I would have been a lot happier with this movie. I still like say I still yeah. really enjoy. And the thing about seeing it with kids, I've seen this movie very recently, like within the last six months, because my well, he'll be seven in a week. Seven-year-old is a big Star Wars oh, wow. fan, and I watched it with him. My wife and I watched it with him just a few months mm-hmm. ago for the first time. And, I mean, he, he when he watches movies, he doesn't always cheer. He, like, just gets focused in and won't talk, especially if he loves a movie. He won't talk. He'll just right. sit there and stare at it. But, like, for the next, next six months, he still does it. I mean, we still did it yesterday. Lightsaber fights all the time. I mean, it's <laughs> like the, the Star Wars stuff is just – so he obviously loves these. Even this one he loved. I mean, he got a little bored in some of the scenes I was complaining about, but it's still yeah. a quality movie. Like I said, the good, like you say it too, the good stuff in this one is so good. It makes it worth watching to me, even though there's parts that I say it's got some of the best and some of the worst of the Star Wars 
side. You know what? That's a great point. And that's how I felt like, yeah, the, the down, like you said, the roller coaster, the downs are pretty bad, but the highs are, are like get suck you back in. Well, you know, like, I remember, I'll never forget like the last five minutes and you start to see the, the star destroyers take off. And then the, the John Williams Imperial March starts playing for the first time in the movie. And you're like, Oh shit, this is awesome. I mean, I, I remember yeah. turning to my friend that I went to, we were, I think we were both home for the weekend or some, one of my high school buddies that was in my wedding or like been friends with for 20 years. We went to it because mm-hmm. he happened to be in town and we like turned to each other like, Oh shit, man. I like, we were just so jacked at the end of that movie. Cause the last, like I said, the last, and even the last 45 minutes or so that battle in the arena and it just, yeah, it's because the, the good moments make it worth watching. There are the great moments yeah. too. It's just some of the stuff, the down stuff is can go. Yeah. Else. And that's why I, I put it at, at uh 973 in mm-hmm. a, a thousand countdown because I wanted to get it in because of those moments. I really do like, um, but I, you know, if it was an awesome movie, it'd be probably in the top 300, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's not there, but, yeah, this the fight in the rain and the Yoda and everything. Yeah, that just to me that sells me. It's like for Moonraker, Jaws sells me, <laughs> and the the cable car type. I love that scene. Well, and that you know sequence. what? M- movies that are in the in your one thousand range, if, if they all they I, at least if I'm making my one thousand list, I'm thinking in movies in that range, they need to have. They're not going to be perfect movies because there's not a thousand perfect movies, but they they need to have something some awesome things that make you want to watch it. And like I said, this one yeah, has it. Exactly. All these movies have that. Exactly. Yeah. And the thing is when you're doing like I'm on letterbox, right. And I pretty much, there might be some here and there that I haven't found, but I pretty much have rated every movie I've seen. I mm-hmm. think in my life or that at least remember I mean, some that I've seen. I'm like, oh, I don't remember at all. So I don't, Yeah, I, I just rated but, red surf on my letterbox a couple of days ago. So, right. So, and I don't think I have 2000. No, I do. No, I do. Oh, what the, I'm trying to think. Oh yeah. I mean, I have like, I might've rated like 3000 movies. Mm-hmm. So like, if those are all the movies I've seen in my life, this definitely makes up, these movies make a thousand because there's a lot of other movies that might be better. That would be in the 2000 range as far as favorites for me. Yeah. But so that's why after I did that, I was able to go back and um, do the list because I'm like, okay, now I know the range of all the movies I've seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And so now I have a better gauge at how to rank them favorite wise for me. Like, believe me, best movies of all time, non-favorites, totally different list. Now, I a lot of my probably top, 500 i think are most of them are 75 percent of them i I think are great films Mm -hmm. definitely that top 200 are probably movies i think are one of some of the greatest films ever uh but sometimes some of the greatest films ever weren't my favorite yeah you know i mean there's a lot of older films that i know for the time were huge and that maybe i just didn't stick with me um there's definitely films there's that when i think my favorites are best there's definitely films where where it's a film and maybe it'll be a film I respect way more than I enjoy or that I like. Right. So it's not right. going to be on my favorite list, even though I can recognize, wow, it's an amazing movie. Like actually the next movie we're going to talk about, I can recognize that is a fantastic movie. I would put it nowhere near my favorites list 
for what right. reasons we'll talk about later. But I, I, best and favorite are not all, for me. I'm the same way. They're not the same thing. All right. So I know on, we've we've counted down ten movies, Ando, and we have f- kind of five left that are in stone. Mm-hmm. But I think let's just split let's it up. Do two more, okay, two and more. then we'll call it because yeah. Because I don't want people are probably like, oh, solo, come on. I, th- I think this has been a good discussion. But yes. yeah, let's do the two and we'll save the the rest of them for the next time. And then, you know, so I was actually surprised we got through 10. I haven't done 10 movies on a film list myself in a long time. So <laughs> this has been good. All right. So let's go to 974 and then we'll do 973 and then we'll call it a night. So. Well, yeah, 973 in, is where my uh, quote came from the beginning came from. So okay, have, good. So All right, that's a good cutoff point. <laughs> okay. So 974 is a film that was released February 9th, 1996. So we're back in the 90s. Uh, made $32 million on a $3 million budget. And the film, Leaving Las Vegas. Ben Sanderson, a Hollywood screenwriter, has lost everything because of alcoholism, arrives in Las Vegas to drink himself to death. There, he meets and forms an uneasy friendship and non-inference pact with prostitute Sarah, directed by Mike Figgis, written by Mike Figgis, based on the novel by John O'Brien. Stars Nicolas Cage as Ben Sanderson, Elizabeth Shue as Sarah, Julian Sands, Richard Lewis, Stephen Weber, and lots of cameos that Ando will possibly tell us about, because I don't remember. So, leaving Las Vegas, Nick Cage, I know, you know, won his Oscar, Elizabeth Shue was nominated. Am I correct? Yeah. Yes. Right? Yep. yep. And uh, Figgis was nominated for uh, directing and writing. They didn't win anything, but it was like uh, oh, besides Cage. Yeah, yeah Braveheart, yeah. Dead Man Walking beat out Elizabeth Shue. So, yeah, that's a lot of heavy hitters that year. I was a big Elizabeth Shue fan, Karate Kid, and Adventures in Babysitting. And I thought this was one of her amazing performances. I really pro Elizabeth Shue. Thought Nicolas Cage was fantastic. He hit a stride in this film. I know later on, you know, you know, with the action films before and after this, and then now he's become a caricature of himself. In, in essence, I guess some would say. But I thought this film was fantastic, and it's a tough, you know, it's a tough one. You know, when he's eating rice, and you know, oh, or when he's in the the liquor store just throwing bottles. I mean. It, it it's it's not one that i would watch once Man, a year yeah oh, but as boy. an actor this film as an actor as i was in college and you know studying acting and film this hit at home for me not only because i love elizabeth shu and nicholas cage at the time but this 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 these performances really struck a chord with me and i was like damn those are those are oscar award-winning performances and I just, you know, um, and, you know, Elizabeth Shue is one of my all time favorite actresses. I really like her and I, you know, wish, you know, she had done more later on, but, uh, big things, but, you know, she had a good run. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know hollow man and the saint, maybe they didn't hit as, you know, and what they she should've. did that movie where they were, uh, was Woody Harrelson in it. They were like in South Carolina. I just remember it being like, Super like sweaty. I like you. Oh, what the hell is the name? I'm gonna have to look that up. It's <laughs> There's a, damn, a great one. In, it's a good movie. Oh, anyway, sorry. sorry. Continue. No, one of the trigger effect is another one I love. Oh yeah, I don't know. If, I have with, seen that. Uh, 
Yeah, with Kyle McLaughlin and uh, I believe Dermot Mulroney, right? Not or Dylan McDermott. I can't remember which one. It was that's not, the, that's not the one with Bill Pullman, too, is it? Uh no, but another guy different. from Walking Dead's in it who's great in it, who was in the uh Guardians of the Galaxy, Michael Rooker. Oh, Michael uh, Rooker, yes. Yeah, it's like I love it how we're supposed to be talking about leaving Las Vegas and I go on tangents to talk about the trigger effect, but it just goes to show, I mean, this film is very powerful and I love the Cheryl Crow song too. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but it, oh, that film I was talking about with, uh, Woody Harrelson is Palmetto. Oh, that's right. Palmetto. Gina Gershon. I don't know if I've ever that. seen it. I remember I know really it. liking it at the time. Yeah. I know it. I know it. And I've seen clips. But I don't think I sat down and watched that. I have to put that on my watch list. That's, a, that's another forgotten, uh, forgotten film of the right. early nineties. Yeah. But but yeah, no, leaving Las Vegas, it, it just it, you know, at a time in my life where I was studying acting and to see these performances, I was just blown away. Yeah, it's a it is an un unforgettable movie. Like I said, I I will never forget why the the scene. There's a scene where he opens the opens his suitcase and it's just all liquor bottles. And I mean, they're mm. just it's like, oh my god! It's a movie that super affected me, and it just I will never ever forget it. But I like I said before, it's one I will only watch once. I don't think I could handle watching it again. I can just right, see clips, right. and it's it, it's one of those ones too that it's so well made and the acting is so good that it's just it's seared into my mind. And I haven't seen it in 25 years or however long it's been. Right, right. And it's just, I, oh, it's, yeah, it's just a great, great movie. And like you said, the performances, Nick Cage is, when Nick Cage decides to make movies that are interesting, there's nobody like him. He's got so much, like, adaptation. He's, got, he's a special talent. Just, yeah, he's a special talent. He there's really times is, when I just and, love him. Yeah, this and there's times, times where it's like, all right, but I still continue, like, like, if I see Nick Cage pop up, I'm like, oh, Nick Cage is this movie? Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, like like in Kick Ass, right? I was like, oh, oh yes. the cage. Yes. You know, I was at a Paul McCartney concert with my dad in 02, and I remember a bunch of celebrities started walking by. Stallone walked by. Oh. Uh, actually, Paul Ben Victor, great character actor. <laughs> but then Nicolas Cage and uh, Lisa Marie Presley walked by. Oh, wow. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, talk about celebrity sightings. No kidding. Uh, yeah, it was interesting and i had just worked on the film shade where i met stallone oh and yeah. so my dad's like there's your boy i'm like sly no i didn't i didn't shut <laughs> I, I didn't shut up sly i wasn't gonna god those kind but, of guys uh, must get that all the time don't they oh yeah yeah they do it, it, you, you don't realize it until you're around it and you yeah. see it like perfect example we're shooting that movie shade and uh i'm outside it's Stallone and Martin Cove from Karate Kid. Oh yeah, Cagney and Lacey. Yep. Uh, and Frank Stallone, his brother. They're just talking. They're just shooting the shit. And uh, two girls come by, see Stallone, and want a picture. And he's like, "Sure." Boom. You heard horror stories about Stallone, mm-hmm. um, like, "Oh, you can't look at him. You can't do this." And you know, I, you know, I don't know. You hear rumors. I don't know. You know, maybe it's a, one of those tough days where he's not in the mood to talk. And well, hang and, out, you know, I mean, whatever. Now he's in a, a, that, that period in the eighties when it was Rocky and Rambo and all. I mean, he was like the, the number one or two biggest stars in the world. I mean, he, and, and he's still by name is probably, yeah. I mean, he all time is one of the biggest celebrity superstars. Oh yeah. And for him to just be cool and just like, 
you know, take the picture of the random girl, you know, he did it and, you know, was, was happy to do it. And, and this is before it, self, it, I think this is before everyone had a cell phone camera. And, too. He's maybe one of those guys now too, that realized how far he's come. And he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy this and be, this was a lower budget film shade, which mm-hmm. is later on in my countdown. I love, I love the movie and I've talked about it on old film list, but I don't yeah, know. I remember you mentioned those podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Are out there. Me and my cousin were PAs on it, and we both got little roles in the movie. He got to speak. I didn't get to speak, but I got shot. So that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> how many times? I have think you I did. Kill- how many times have you been killed on film? Do you know? You know what? That's a good question. Because um, I know this is at least the second one we've talked about, and I know weren't you killed in Snowfall too? No, I wasn't killed in Snowfall. I was brutally beat to hell, but I was okay. still alive. I could. I know I watched I that episode, but I couldn't remember. Found. <laughs> but I, I didn't die. Uh, I died in a short film, Scorpion, my Italian mob drama that I did. Um, yeah, I, I kind of have to kind of think about it because a lot of those reenactment shows I did, I can't oh, remember if I right. died. I forgot I about a, the reenactment. Yeah, because I've done like did. seven or eight of those. Yeah, and I, I don't ID know channel. if I. Yeah, I don't know if I died in those. I got beat up in one. I got attacked in one. Anyway, uh, that's, <laughs> that's for the for ID di- channel yeah. pod. That's for a different podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this, this, this film was awesome. Uh, so some of the other any, people that are, some of the people that are in oh, this thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't remember all these people in there. Just looking at the cast list. I'm like, holy shit, this person and this person, that, um, French Stewart, he was famous for like Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> um, Arlie Ermey of Full Metal Jacket. Oh, yeah. Fame. Great, great. And Tarantino used him a lot. Uh, playing a hooker, Mariska Hargitay. Oh, Danny, shit. Danny Houston, Laurie Metcalf from Roseanne, Shawnee Smith mm. the, from many, many movies. Uh, Julian <laughs> Lennon, soft. John Lennon's mm-hmm. sister, or daughter, or son, excuse me. Son, Julian uh, Lennon. Yeah, Julian Lennon and Lou Rawls, the singer Lou Rawls. Lou Rawls. I mean, it's like uh, I just couldn't believe all the names in it. I mean, and I forgot Mariska was in that movie. And most oh of these, God. most of them are all named like one of like Lou Rawls plays concerned cabbie, and and uh, Julie Lennon plays bartender number three, Shawnee Smith biker girl, <laughs> uh, Lori Metcalf landlady, Danny Houston bartender number two. So I mean, they're wow. they're all bit and part of that. Seeing that the some of the ancillary actors here i was like i kind of, kind of do want to watch this again to see like all these people that are now that i know that are huge yeah wow so yeah ah. leaving las vegas <laughs> well at least nicholas cage wasn't a raggedy man <laughs> anyway all right the last film of the pod we'll do number 973 at the time was the third of a trilogy I guess you could say now they've made other another movie coming up, but it's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome released July 10th, 1985 uh, made 36 million on a $10 million budget after being exiled for the, from the most advanced town in post apocalyptic apocalyptic Australia, a drifter travels with a group of abandoned children to rebel a rebel against the town's queen. Directed by George Miller and George Ogilvy, written by Terry Harris and George Miller. It's the third film in the Mad Max franchise. Mel Gibson, Tina Turner, Bruce Spence among the cast. Angelo Rosito, Re- Rosito, the master. Uh, Paul Larson as the blaster. Master blaster. 
I had to put both of them in there. That's awesome. Uh, Okay, so this was the first Mad Max film as a kid I saw, and I loved it. And Tina Turner, I was like, Tina Turner? And, you know, (laughs) was in it? I was like, oh, my God. And Thunderdome, it was just like, oh, my God. And then I kind of lost... I guess when Mad Max Fury Road came out, I decided to go back and watch all the Mad Max and they were on Blu-ray. So, and I watched all three in like a night or to morning or whatever. And like some other movies that I'm not going to mention right now, so we don't go off on tangents. (laughs) I enjoy this a lot more watching the other two with it. Um, but I dug this movie. Yes, it's probably the worst Mad Max film of them all. Easy to say. I, you know what? I think I actually like this one more than the first one. Oh, see, I love the first one. The I, to I me, really the like original it. one is my least favorite of the four. But I've also oh, okay. I'm okay. not. I was really late to Mad Max. And for some reason, you know how when you're a kid, sometimes there's just certain films you miss and you don't see till later. Mad Max was a blind spot for me until I went to college and my roommate. um, And when I was in the dorms as a freshman, him and his dad were huge Mad Max fans. And that was back when the the dorms had like a big, basically like a VHS library that you could check stuff out of the, of the library kind of thing. And my roommate brought home Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. And I remember watching it and I got, I I think I maybe lasted 15 minutes and it was to the scene where you first see the pigs and the, what's going on with the pigs. And I'm like, yeah. the, and at the time I'm like, this is stupid. I don't like this. And I left, didn't revisit it. I, 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 it's really weird that I did that because that's not normally what I would do. So I didn't actually see that. I didn't go back to Mad Max till many years later. Pro- I was probably mid to late twenties when I finally went back to start watching them again. So oh, I, wow. I, it's, it, I would say very, very, very late to it. And this one, I, I hadn't watched this one probably since that, I don't know, 10 years probably. Well, no, I watched it right before Fury Road as well. So it's been four or five years since I watched this one. I watched it again recently. And I was surprised. I like this way more now than I ever have before. Yeah. The the stuff in the, the stuff like where they go on the Peter Pan tangent with the kids is a little odd, but the first half an hour, the whole Thunderdome, all that stuff is awesome. The last 20 minutes is really good. It's I, I end up really enjoying it now. I like it, like I said, I like it more than the original Mad Max. I don't think it beats Road Warrior or definitely not Fury Road. Fury Road will be it's one of my all time oh I don't know all time, but one of my top films from the last few years for sure. So yeah, it's, nice. it took me a while to come around on Beyond Thunderdome, but I've come to really enjoy it. Yeah, it, I mean it's a little more Hollywood than the other two Mad Maxes. Mm-hmm. Actually, you could pretty much say of the other three. Even Fury Road, I think it gets a little more. I mean, it's still weird, but it's not. Yeah, it's not as weird. You're right. It's definitely more. Right. It's it a feels more glossy. More Hollywood. Yeah. And, you know, Mel Gibson with the big hair, and uh, you know, <laughs> he, he's he, he's Mel Gibson now yeah. doing this movie. Uh, you know, after the Lethal Weapon. Uh, I mean, I can't remember. I know they at least the first Lethal Weapon. I can't remember if the second one was after. Uh, or before I think the this. second one was right. At, I want to say the second one was '86, maybe. And this was 85. I want to say it was right after this. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, it's kind of, you can even tell the difference. I don't know if they changed film stock or the way they shot it, but it's, or it just seems good. I mean, the first Mad Max is more lower budget. You know what? I'm I'm way off. Lethal Weapon 1 was 87. So Lethal Weapon 1 was right after this. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So I guess, okay. So he's not fully Mel Gibson. <laughs> well, I mean, Road, Road Warrior was pretty big. Road Warrior was big for him. Yeah. He's, oh, is it, oh, Mel Gibson, but he's not Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's not. <laughs> and then he's, later on in life, he becomes. He, he doesn't, he's, he doesn't, he's not known by one name. Like after Lethal Weapon, some of those, you could just say Mel and everyone knew who he Mel. was. Mel. Yeah. You it's, could say Mel. And then people aren't thinking of Mel Torme, you know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly uh, right. Or Mel Allen. But yeah, no, it, 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 that's why, um, it probably wouldn't have been in my top 1000, but then when I rewatched it, I was like, wow, I like this a lot more than I remember because mm-hmm. I liked it as a kid, but it wasn't like a GI Joe or anything like that, or, you know, Batman 89 or anything like that. Yeah. Like that did what it did for me. Uh, but it was kind of cool. Cause that when it was, you know, obviously I think I was 10 years old when it came out. So it was like for me to like sneak and see it. Cause I don't think my parents <laughs> let me see it. Yeah. Like it was, I saw it at my friend Rawls house. Uh, he, his parents used to let him watch anything and record. So when I go to his house, we watch, I watch all the rated R movies and stuff that I couldn't see. That's well, you know, I think, I think this one actually is the only one that's not R. It was PG 13. Right. Yeah. And there's some other weird things about this one too, that when I was looking stuff up, um, there's a reason why it was co-directed George Miller. I mean, George Miller directs all the other ones by himself. Mm-hmm. And I guess right before this happened, his co-producer on the first two died, like unexpectedly oh, died. Geez. So he was having a bunch of mental mental things. He's even talked about it in interviews. And it's like I had to bring another guy in to help me finish because he's like, my heart just wasn't in it. Oh, so I don't wow. I don't know if that's some of the difference. Why? Why? Maybe why it's not quite as weird as the other uh, the other ones are. Right. And it might have got, it got a little lighthearted with the Peter Pan, the kids yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So. Which, which wouldn't definitely wouldn't surprise me. The, the other thing, rewatching it now. This movie, I think, has a surprising influence on culture just in general. Like Thunderdome, you say what Thunderdome? Everyone knows that. That I mean, that's hell. That's like Pat, Pat McAfee. McAfee. Yeah, his yeah, studio is that. Like when uh, the California Love video with Dr. Dre and Tupac. That's basically a version of. If you want to go watch that video, you'd be like, "This is beyond Thunderdome. This is what this music video is." <laughs> it was a huge music video. Like even um, during uh, during COVID. When um, WWE kept running all their live shows, but they did it like in a virtual stadium thing, they called it the Thunderdome. I mean, there was no yeah. other connection to Thunderdome. So, I mean, it's crazy how this one is really, even though it wasn't huge, it was successful. It's crazy how much this really has kind of seeped into culture. Yeah. And I mean, I love the Tina Turner song. Yes, I do too. We don't need another hero. Dun, yeah. Dun, dun. Yeah, it's just a it's yeah. the, and this this is the second movie we've talked about the score by Maurice Jar or Jarre, whoever the same guy that was making uh, you cry in a walk, in the, walk clouds, in the clouds scores scores this movie where you're gonna go kick some ass. So yeah, hey, makes me cry, makes me go crazy. Yeah, exactly right, Maurice. But yeah, no, it, this is a good one, and you know, I the other three Mad Max movies I love, um, you know, be yeah. I just I love them more um, than this one, but but let but I I love this one too. You know you know what yeah, I mean. Like I love all four, I really do. And I I've I think what you, what you said too about watch especially the first three watching them all consecutively might be the way to do it. Because yeah, because it is the world they create, and the weird thing is is it's not it's not like the continuity is perfect, but it, they somehow they all fit together really nicely. They do. 
They do. They really do. And and one thing I'll say, <clears throat> I haven't revisited it, but I remember now this was late 90s after actually the summer before I moved to L.A. So it would have been 97. Um, that's when I watched all three Godfathers in a row. Oh. And and the third one to me was much better watching them back to back. It doesn't even compare to the first two. But the the oh. Kay and Michael relationship. Yeah. How you see that develop and just certain things. And there's some good moments in three, but there's some rough ones. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm a little more, I think I'm a little more supportive of three than most people. But I don't think it's going to be in my top one thousand. But Have, but okay, we got to do what we got to do. It, I got to do it, one side question there. Have you watched the okay. Michael Corleone cut of that? The Coda, the Godfather. Oh yeah, the Coda. Coda yeah, what it's called. I you know what? I bought it, but I haven't watched it. What's different about <laughs> what the re- the reason I asked is because remember when I was talking about my GI Joe uh, box set, also sitting on that same shelf is the Coda Blu-ray that I also haven't watched. Me neither. I bought the 4K red restoration, yes. the, the steel books of one and two, and I got the Godfather Coda as well. Uh-huh. But I bought it and I because I didn't have it in 4K, but I'm I I'm like, why is it called the Godfather Coda? Did they re-edit it? Or do you know? I know there's some re-editing. I don't know exactly I've heard mixed things. Some people say it flows a lot, like the 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 the, edit, the re-edited version flows better and it's just it's not quite a like there, there's original. There's parts okay. in that original cut that are a little clunky, I think, and I think it's yeah. some of those out is what I've heard, but I haven't watched it. So if, if that was why I was asking you. Like, I wonder what you thought about it because it might move oh, up I on my I, watch list. But, I bought it and I haven't yes. watched it yet. Okay, so exactly the same thing I did. So perfect. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta watch it. I gotta watch it. I, you know. <laughs> oh well, yeah, I, I, I agree with you too about that. Like comparing this to Godfather is actually an interesting comparison. I, I really want to oh, yeah. watch that first one again. I maybe just and you know when I watched that, that was the I watched them in order for the first time. So I didn't watch Beyond Thunderdome first, like you did, or I didn't watch Fury Road first. I watched. I mean, I might appreciate it more now because I actually know what that world is like and know the. I might like the first one better. Now I'm gonna have to rewatch that first one again. It's been yeah, I mean, no, I've it, seen, it, seen Road Warrior Free Road many, many times. So, right No, I I really like the first one. Uh, it just yeah, I, big fan. Uh, all right, so to recap, Ando. Nine eighty four was Moonraker. Nine eighty three U.S. Marshals. Nine eighty two A Walk in the Clouds. Nine eighty one One Hundred Twenty Seven Hours. 980 blown away Corey Haim version. <laughs> 979 Batman Forever. 978 Mr. and Mrs. Smith. 977 G.I. Joe The Rise of Cobra. 976 Red Surf. 975 Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones. 974 Leaving Las Vegas. And 973 Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. We're going to end there. Wow. Okay. So these movies. I look at them on a list, guilty pleasures, not the greatest movies, some that have aged well, some that haven't. And what an interesting collection. Of, I, was just thinking about, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Cause there's a little bit of everything. There's some of them. I mean, there's a couple Oscar caliber movies with <laughs> leaving Las Vegas, 127 hours. There's also some sequels to crazy franchises like Bond and the Batman Forever, and there's other like toy adaptations. There's 
cheap direct-to-video movies. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. It's just a it's an insane mix. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it is an insane mix. It, it is very insane. <laughs> God, my the mind of Heath Solo. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, this was man. A good, this was a good, good right. little list here. Good time. Yeah, it was interesting. I <laughs> uh, appreciate it, Ando. You do all the research and put it all out nicely. Usually, I'm looking on my iPad at IMDb and randomly uh, <laughs> on the spot going through it. So it was nice to have the Ando ammunition. <laughs> like I That's told you before, my, I, I, I've, I've gotten to the age now where I'm starting to forget stuff. Even if I just write it down, even if I don't use the notes, it's still sitting in my head fresh. So, And it's it, it like stuff. It's so much easier than searching for IMDb stuff, too. So it's, it's nice to have. I had some time, yeah. so it was nice to, nice oh, to put I it appreciate it. Yes, I anytime. appreciate it. No, you're you're my go-to guy. Oh, perfect. You're, you're you're officially filmless guy. Okay, perfect. I, I, I enjoyed doing this with you so much that yeah, no, this is good, and we'll we'll let someone else join us if they want to. Yeah, but oh, you're, sounds, you're, you you have sounds... to be on. Okay, you have perfect. to be on. Even if I'm not on, you better be on. Okay. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, yeah. you know what I maybe have to do then. I'll I'll start. This is a long term project for me. I'm going to start refining my list, and then whenever we come across a movie that is on my list, I can say, "Oh, Mad Max Fury Road is my number sixty two or something." Oh yeah, that'd be cool. A cool little. Uh, It'd be a little Easter eggs peppered in every once in a while. Yeah, that sounds good to me. All right, remember you can go to Patreon.com/slash/DVR. Become a patron for a couple bucks a month. Go to DVRpodcast.com for the official home network of the DVR podcasting network. Check out our other shows that we've done in the past. And we'll continue to do most recently true detective night country. We covered Ando and Axel covered a murder at the end of the world. Um, those, so those are some uh, shows. Tons if you like tons them. Of shows. Yeah. Mindhunter. Yeah, I mean, there's so Game many. of Thrones. Yeah. Game of Thrones is coming back. I think this summer sometimes. So house of dragon. Yes. And there's man, there's, Alarms going, uh, ambulances going crazy in my neighborhood, and dogs howling. It, it feels so good. Well, maybe um, this, maybe this podcast will be two men enter, one man leave because you're going to get all the way. I think. Yeah, yeah, I might. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. But uh, and also, guys, as you know, as you listen, and if we have some new listeners, because um, I know we got some new patrons, and then maybe new. Hey, yeah, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? this might be right on my street. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's right. What the hell's going on? What the hell's going on out there? Anyway, uh, well, they're driving down my street. Anyway, I live <laughs> in the city. What do you expect? Uh, but no, I, I worked on a film, as you guys know, the Star City Murders, which I produce, created, and starred in with Tim Russ, Michelle Lukes, Amy Mata, Jason Graham, Austin Highsmith, Garces, uh, Abby Trevetti. Great, great great uh cast and we have a release date and we'll have more formal announcements as we go on the pod but april 16th it'll be available to rent or purchase on apple tv itunes cable and satellite we're about 30 days before that we're going to get the list of what platforms it'll be on and march 16th it'll be able for pre-order on itunes and apple tv and we'll we'll once we get once they give me the link to that when that becomes live we'll start promoting it get it out there uh so you guys can support the film and check it out 
Uh, it's very exciting news. Uh, it's happening. We finally got the final, final stuff done. It's been, well, for me, it's been like five year, five plus years in the making, but for everyone else, it's been 40 years. Just hearing about it over the last four years is exciting and frustrating all at the same time. So it's exciting, yeah, yeah. exciting that you're so getting there now. All, oh, I know all of I can speak here. for I can speak for all of us that podcast with you when I say that it, we're all super excited. So I appreciate that. Yeah, you got yeah. Ando's been on the inside track the last couple of years, seeing uh, rough cuts and <laughs> different things, and so it's, it's, it's worth been, the wait. So yeah, I appreciate it. It's yeah. If you like, uh, basically, it's about the Star Seamer is about you know detectives trying to track down a serial killer whose calling card is unlike anything they've ever seen, um, or unlike yeah, unlike anything they've ever seen. Not like, uh, so it's a you know fictional true crime esque dialogue driven it's in the vein of Mindhunter, true detective seven i mean it's not as good as seven don't get me don't or any <laughs> of those shows but uh for the budget we had and what we were able to accomplish uh i think you'd be very happy with it so stay tuned for details about the star city murders and uh you know helps if you can support it i don't think it's i'll i'll not i don't think it's going to be high price i think it's going to be pretty reasonable so It'll be just like a Starbucks coffee, I think. Um, cost or something. Well, I don't, Who knows? Usually, I don't know when the, what usually when some of that stuff comes, usually it's somewhere between ten and fifteen. If, as long as it's not being released by Warner Brothers or something like that. So yeah, I, I I know, I it could be they may run some like spe- pre-order special. Mm. It it you know it might be like five ninety nine to buy on oh, some yeah. platforms. It might be like nine ninety nine to buy it. Uh, you know. I, I'm not sure what they're going to do. I, it depends on the platform. So basically, this is like our initial release. Like if we'd be being, if we were being released in theaters, this is basically um, a lot of pandemic movies, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could call it straight to video in an essence, but now well, everything's going to streaming. I was going to say so it's a little to, more prestigious. Yeah, straight to streaming or straight to video is that that's a very different thing than what it used to be. I mean, yeah, hell, the, yeah. I mean, uh, just a couple of years ago, Coda that won Best Picture was straight to streaming. I mean, that's <laughs> if you're winning yeah, Best to yeah. Picture, Best Picture, straight yeah. to streaming is a. It's not. That doesn't mean what it used to mean. Not. It's. It's not. No, like, because you got a handful of films that are released in theaters nowadays. Yeah this this isn't uh, this isn't the two Corys fighting over Nicole Eggert. <laughs> no, it is an Ando. <laughs> You'd get blown away though, but yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. oh, but yeah, no. It's it's a very exciting time. A lot of hard work. There's. You know, about probably 50 people plus who worked on the film and then another several hundred that supported the film. And so it's it's finally happening and it's coming out so everyone can see it. Uh, So it's really, really an exciting time for me and my family. And hopefully this will lead to bigger and better things as well. Uh, It's about time. It's time. You've put the work in. So, it's it's time. Yeah, it's time. It, it's time. It took, yeah, it took about half a decade of my life, but now that it's coming out, now I can uh, excited for it to come out, and then I can move forward. And uh, the first one's always the hardest, <laughs> and then uh, hopefully, uh, um, well, the next time you'll work out, you, you're gonna you've learned so much of what to do or what not to do that you. 
I mean, it's, I'm sure every project is oh, different, yeah. but you've at least, I'm sure what you've yeah. learned yet. I'm sure you don't even realize all the shit you've learned since you've done this. Oh, it's, yeah, no, that, it's it, crazy. It yeah. And, and what we're going to do is we're also going to rebrand the, the, we had, we did a Kickstarter pod, like kind of like a behind the scenes pod, mm-hmm. had Those some interviews great. we talked yes. about. Well, we're going to make that public and then we're going to start doing some new podcasts. So we're going to, you know, get, the cast on to get interviewed and then we have a big prop drawing that we have to do yet for our kickstarter backers so there's some fun stuff coming uh coming down the pipeline so we'll announce that when the podcast goes live and you can go back and listen to the early pods of early pre-production and production and all that good stuff those pods were awesome because especially for somebody like me that isn't i mean i know what i know about movies from like director commentaries and behind the scenes things on DVDs, but to actually hear like what, like how the, how the, what do you call it? How the, how the, not how the soup is made, but how the stuff is how made. How the bread is buttered. How, yeah. I mean, <laughs> all hearing all the nitty gritty details. If you love that, those podcasts were amazing to listen to. Cause I, I, I'm not, I'm not bullshitting you. Those were really fantastic to listen to just from a oh. listening to behind the scenes stuff. So. That, yeah, that was our, me and Axel's intention was to kind of pull back the curtain Mm-hmm. And have our listeners, you know, uh, just you know, you know, I, 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 you know, try to spell things out of the whole process because a lot of people don't know the process of what goes in, especially when you're an independent film yeah. and you don't have big studio budgets to to pay for things and you have to do things yourself and call in favors and you know that and yeah, it's not like deal with issues. Not like when you're watching a behind the scenes documentary of Pirates of the Caribbean and they're the the. The buffet line in the back looks as more expensive than my house. It's yeah, yeah. and it, I think it helps. <laughs> Axel's made movies too, so he knows the right questions to ask. So it's it's perfect. Right, right, right. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna yeah we're looking forward to re- rebranding, relaunching, and doing some more of the pod, and uh, you know, and getting in now to the the really really fun stuff of you know how we got distribution and what's mm-hmm. next, and then just get some of more because we had. Uh, one of our actors, Charlie Farrell, uh, was on, and our director, Giles Andrews, we had on the pod, and my uh, producing partner, Jeffrey Mertz, um, we had a couple times on the pod. So, and then there's some, and then uh, we're going to get more of the cast and stuff on, and uh, you know, just talk about shooting and w- what they're doing with their careers and how how their experience was. And so, I'm really looking forward to that uh, kind of catching up with everyone. That's so. That's going to be fun. All right, Ando. wait to listen. Yeah, Let, uh, before we turn this into a three-hour pod, maybe we should wrap it up. Yes, <laughs> we should. We should. Well, Ando, thank you, brother, for doing this. Yes, uh, I look forward fun. to doing the next one. We'll try to do one every couple of weeks. You know, just get it out there for sure. You know, two. You know, a couple times a month or whatever we figure out. Since we did twelve movies this time, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> which which. Yeah. We want to do, very well. I think we, we want to finish this project before 2030, so we better start yes. kicking it in the ass. Yeah, before I have to change my whole top 1,000. <laughs> um, yeah, my top 500 is going to be all new because of <laughs> movies coming up. So, all right. For the DVR Podcasting Network, Axel, for Ando, for me, I'm Heath Solo. We'll see you next time on the film list. Welcome to East Star City.